Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, Happy Monday night. Thanksgiving week. Pretty exciting. Tons of things to be thankful for and tons of awesome times coming ahead to everyone. This episode is presented by Cosmic DG. They're doing a lot of stuff out here in the Northeast and then also went down the East Coast for a couple big tournaments throughout the year. So go over to CosmicDG.com. Help support their efforts. Everybody have a Cosmic Day. Um, What time is it? Yeah, we are starting... (laughs) For our live listeners. For our live listeners, we are starting at 731. For the post-audio listeners, we are starting at the normal time whenever you turn us on. And uh, we're starting at 730, which uh, might just become the regular time. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. For the electronics and software geeks and everything else under the sun, I hope you can relate. I'm pretty ambitious with like preparing for a show. Like I prepare for an hour and a half, test everything, literally as much as you possibly can. It's all set. We go to live and the streaming software decides it's not sending any data. Yeah. That's the general idea. I say, I don't know what it is. Nothing changed. Well, there's a Windows update sitting there. And so in the last ditch effort after restarting my computer a few times, I said, I'm going to do the Windows updates, which that's a whole nother thing. It did the Windows updates, did the restart, still didn't fix our issue. I was at my wits end. I ended up uninstalling, for those who care, the dev- I went to the device manager, uninstalled the uh, network adapter restarted my computer it found it reinstalled it we did the test and it worked that's what 30 minutes of work will do for you it's working yeah. that's not normally how we want to start an intro to the nick and matt show but there you go i, I yeah. people ask why this stuff happens literally it's crazy and i don't know why mm-hmm. I, and maybe i need to get paid a lot more money to make sure it doesn't happen but i thought i was doing pretty good all right um so here we are, episode 166. There's a lot going on. We're a little bit behind here. We have a great guest left lined up tonight, uh, Jesse. Uh, I've never said his last name out loud. Is it is it Weiss or Weiss? Give us a thumbs up for one or two. No. <laughs> it should be Weiss, right? Weiss, okay. He says Weiss. Weiss. Okay, yeah. first one. We're going to get him here in just a minute. We do have Evan just chilling oh, yeah. in the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This guy. Oh, this guy. Hello to Evan. Evan fortunately doesn't have to deal with any of the technical difficulties. He just has the same thing. There. Same thing with me. I really don't have to deal with any of them except just sit here and hang out on a yeah, Instagram live with Ben. But I was sitting in the dark for like however long those yeah. updates were happening. I was just sitting here like, is the show still happening? And it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I, I we got are some here. good work done, you know? Good yeah, work. Good work. Busy person, so I get some forced downtime and get some stuff done. Yeah. Sounds good go. to me. So when our Patreon launches that we've been talking about for years, <laughs> when it actually launches, yeah. um, someone just said, Wesley, they're like, hey, maybe behind the scenes, that'd be cool. So we could actually just have a phone streaming in here when things like that happen before the show. Maybe mm-hmm. we could just do that. Yeah, that'll be yeah. cool. All right. Pre-show. Um, so before we get into the awesome conversation surrounding um, this fandom survey that just came out, the collaboration between Stat Mando and Ulti World, and obviously the author here putting a lot of it together, um, Jess, Jesse Weiss, uh, and we're going to talk all things about It's really interesting. Uh, also, the, the shoes that these players are wearing. This is a whole other article and write-up that he did, uh, investigation on the shoes. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny when I was reading, and it's like, he's taking pictures of players' shoes. <laughs> I'm like, it would be weird if he said taking pictures of players' feet, but we'll say shoes. It makes it a lot better. So there you go. Um, 
so we're going to talk about all of that. But before we get into it, I asked you guys pre-show, and I'm interested in the audience feedback here. It's not as big of a deal anymore, but disc golf played on a major broadcast network, right? Mm -hmm. CBS Sports. Mm -hmm. I asked before the show, and your answers were, no, I didn't watch it. I find that to be interesting in some ways. In other ways, it's not a big deal. It used to be massive, right? Like, I can remember the first time even disc golf at some level on ESPN, Nate Doss throwing Fountain Hills, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that was like, it was on TV. Yeah. Like, we we're all yeah. losing our mind. Now we're at a place where we're like, good for, the, good for that. Like, we have DGN. We watch it all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the big deal? Yeah. I, wa I watched I it. I want to cut you off, Matt. A part of it, though, is accessibility. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I'm so excited that this gets on CBS Sports Network and getting in front of people who may not see it otherwise. Uh, but I, I don't know about Nick, but I don't even have this channel. So no. I, I wasn't able to watch it, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, if it was on CBS over the yeah. air, I can watch that. I looked, I have Paramount Plus. I looked mm -hmm. through Paramount Plus. It wasn't available on there. I wasn't sure how to watch it, which isn't a disc golf issue. It's getting yeah, it to true. CBS uh, and having them put it on the channels they want to and all that. It's, it's if you tough, had it, then you're saying, and maybe the rest I, of the room, you would have watched it. absolutely watched, yes. So if they put it on YouTube, which of okay. course they, they could do that any week they want, uh, it's a question of working with these major uh, TV networks is the cool yeah. part. If I had the channel, I absolutely would have tuned in. I was ready to tune in if I got the channel. It was really hard to figure out if I had CBS Sports mm -hmm. Network. Turns out I don't. Well, gotcha. uh, that is interesting like that's the good point to bring up the accessibility i, I want to hear how it went so i, I, I have no 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 i, I was just thinking through i'm like i guess i have it i i pay we were talking to simon last week uh oh evan wasn't here and nick wasn't here i'm trying to remember no. why this happened but we were talking to simon he doesn't have tv um and i was like no subscription service no he doesn't so i was like well i have a subscription service i pay for hulu mainly so i can get live sports my mm -hmm. kids love sports that's the mm -hmm. easiest way to do it for me so I had access to it and I tuned in with the kids and I'm not going to lie. It's nothing special. Again, you're like, well, I'm watching it on like TV at CBS. So like there's that feeling to it, but I'll give you the gist of how it went down. They showed a lot of action of the final round of worlds. So as it's unfolding, they'll just, they literally were just cutting to all different players around like, and I thought it was great. I thought they were keeping the attention span, only seeing interesting things that happen, mm -hmm. not showing like shot by shot of the lead card through the final round. Like disc golfers might want to see that, but the average person is like, it's more like golf in that sense. Mm -hmm. When you watch golf, it's cutting all around. You don't just follow one card. So they did that. I thought pretty well. Um, they showed Isaac win and that was it. So it was just, it was highlighting what disc golf is as far as excitement and anything on the FPO side. No, only MPO. Okay. And they recorded special commentary. Big Germ and uh, why am I having a, a brain freeze? Really? Yes, and, and Earhart. Thank you. Oh, okay. And Tanner, my son watching it with me, he's like, Dad, is this live? And I was like, no. He's like, well, how are they, like, who's doing commentary on this? Because it seems like it's different than it was. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not real. It's for what we're seeing right now. And I was like, yeah, it's post, but like they recorded it special for this. Um, and they would do things like, and this is important, I think. Oh, like that's a, 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 that disc or whatever goes right to left. Like most commonly when you throw this backhand shot or they, they would constantly not overdo it, but they would constantly make sure the listeners or the viewers were tracking. So 
all in all, it's an intro for people to disc golf. That's what it is now. When we get on ESPN or anywhere else, it's literally evangelistic in nature where yeah. we're like trying to like get an audience. It's not for the disc golfer. One day there might be a disc golf channel, probably not, but one day there might be. And then they can just, it's disc golf powered network or whatever, <laughs> you know? So it, it's not and what that, it is yet. You know, what was cool last time that we were on a major network that I want to see that happen this time is just, you're watching it. It cuts to commercial and you know, I, I honestly oh. love disc golf commercials. They're fun. But when you get like a out of disc golf commercial or out of our normal uh, rotation of commercials that we see like on disc golf network or through uh, YouTube post-production, you just see like Chex Mix or like PetSmart. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, that's so cool. Isn't that weird how you get excited about that? But I, I'm curious, like did that <laughs> yes. same thing hit this year? Yes. So you would see disc golf commercials mixed in with your usual network commercials. Yes, it happened. Um, it made me wonder, we're kind of used to the disc golf commercials a little bit, but they're definitely low budget commercials compared to like Downey or whatever. I mean, like really they're a Pepsi or pick them. Right. So you can totally see the comparison of like, this is not high budget. Um, but for the most part, I think it did well and it was cool to see disc golf. It was I think people were probably like, wow, this is legitimate or whatever, you know? So I, I think it was good for what it was. I see the chat saying maybe they should have had FPO in there. Cool. Like, I agree. But my take's yeah. not that they should have. It's more that it would be cool if we were able to do that at some point. They did that in previous seasons. They're trying all different things. They're mm -hmm. going to see what sticks and what works. There you go. That was, the, oh, by the way, Fox Run. That's, it was the final round. Yeah. So like, that's what it was. And Fox great, Run. Great looks horse great it yeah. looks great on yeah. tv well especially being there live in person the spectacle aspect of it for a spectator just being able to see everyone around you know 18 um, yep. 10 11 12 13 you're kind of walking up on the dam uh it's an awesome course to be able to spectate and then be able to showcase that you kind of see the enormous crowd of people that actually was there which is a huge boost in trying to showcase the sport it was everywhere. awesome it was awesome. You know, Fox it's different, run. you know, showing 2023 worlds versus 2014 worlds or 2015 worlds, 2016, 17, the amount of people that are there nowadays, the sport has grown so much since then, but it's definitely nice to showcase it on a course that actually does allow you to see it. And I will say during live, sometimes I feel like the overhead camera as in the drone, it, it's cool. Sometimes other times you're like, I wish they wouldn't have cut to that. Because this was post-produced between Jomez and DGN, they had so much content that they could use. Everything was pretty well, like the right thing. And then the drone shots really helped the viewer. I know it did for sure, because you'd see a shot throw and then they cut to a catch cam. And if you're not a disc golfer, you have zero idea what's happening from a reverse angle. When a disc is going one way and it's reversing, and you're like, that's an amazing shot. As a disc golfer, you think that? Um, what's that shot? Was it an FPO player that threw it at Fox run backhand? It has to go. Allie Smith. Yeah. Aced it. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. So that hole, it, it was MPO that we were watching, but that hole is very hard to communicate how incredible like that type of a shot is. Yeah. MPO is pushing it and they're not even all completing towards the basket, right? They're like finishing Heiser out too, but some of the shots were amazing. And as a disc golfer, I'm going, that's incredible. They were able to go to, after showing it a few times, they went to a drone shot. And I just feel like that really communicates. Mm -hmm. They'll talk the distance and they'll be like, for those of you, they don't say for those of you who don't understand, but they'll go, yeah. they'll go, 
400 feet is we're talking 400, not yards. We're talking feet, but like just to get people to understand some of the difficulty of these shots, but there you go. The toughest thing about the drone shot is it doesn't really show the elevation. So when you know the elevation of what hole eight is, it makes it just that much more impressive for anyone birding it on the MPO side. And then on the FPO side for Ali to get the aces. I think what it did for me. And the reason I brought that hole up specifically is in the woods, it's easier to show the flight of a disc. Like, it's not actually easier to video and show it on TV, but I mean, you're, it's easier to see how the disc can fly and maneuver mm-hmm. through the woods. This hole from the drone shot actually showed a, a disc making multiple flight changes, right? So you're coming out left, you're moving right, and then finishing left on some of these. So it's like people aren't used to seeing that. In fact, was it Simon who said this? It's the only like sport in the world that has a multi-move through the air. You know what Pretty I mean? Much. Not yeah. just like spinning one way or whatever. So Except for a knuckleball. Yep. Oh, okay. Is it yeah, knuckleball? I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. Knuckleball, knuckleball is going like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's going weird. Weird. It's moving one direction. Yeah. I, okay. I watched a stalker highlight today where it was a knuckleball free kick. It was sick. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think like, I'm just thinking like what could be in disc golf video. And I understand why the drone is in the position it is. It's got to follow to like flight regulations. It can't be too close because of noise, all right. this stuff. But like, what if that drone could just be like half the height (laughs) and then just be like looking at it from like almost a backward angle and you get to see it push forward. I mean, similar to what they do for like the distance. Yeah, we're flying after the disc. (laughs) It'd be so cool. And like, I would feel like we're so far away from that, but also what disc golf production is doing makes us feel like we're not far away from that. Ah, And it gets really excited. Exhibition. They should bring it to an actual round coverage for all stars. If they're doing a round again, they should include the drone because exhibition. Yeah. Exhibition. Mm -hmm. It'd be cool. Um, All right. We talked quite a bit about that. I'm sorry. I I went on and went on and we already started late tonight for us live as listeners. For those of you who are listening now, you're like, Hey, this is cool. More content. Um, that happened. We're n- we're not going to push off Jesse here any like more than a couple more minutes. We do want to talk about Champions Cup. Uh, the drama that has existed around this deserves a conversation because there's a lot of I, I want to say kind of intricate parts, but I think a lot of this could have been avoided. And that's how I'll say it. That's my opinion. That's not a downplay on anybody. That's uh, maybe a retrospective looking back at it. I'm not a part of the team, but. Uh, we will talk about that when Eagle McMahon comments somewhere about Champions Cup colliding with the sweet, uh, Swedish, Swedish Open. Open. Uh, and he says, this is not good. A lot of players were looking forward to the European Tour. Reschedule the reschedule in all caps. When he's doing that and Paul makes a comment somewhere saying, like, you know where I'll be to the Swedish Open, like, mm-hmm. as in I'll be there in attendance. And, like, you have players responding and then there's reports out there saying like now they're considering another reschedule. It doesn't look good for the structure and the organization of the PDGA. There's a lot of moving parts. I thought about having them on tonight. We're not going to really speculate about those moving parts too much. We'll talk about what we know and that will probably be it. You have any, any comments? Well, I was going to, I was going to say, let's remember the inception of the champions cup. It was, Hey, let's throw together a fourth major. Let's do four rounds of stroke play and two rounds of match play. And after the four rounds of stroke play, the top eight players make it and you scratch completely, you know, what they have, whatever. So it was a very, very weird tournament from the start. A lot of backlash came because of that. And then it turned into just a four round sanctioned PDGA tournament major. And, uh, but it was kind of like just thrown together all at once. You know, it wasn't a tournament that, you know, if you're hosting five years of a B tier, you can now qualify for an A tier. It was just like, Hey, we're going to go to IDGC and we're going to have a major. Here we go. And um, uh, W.R. Jackson, absolutely incredible course, incredible property. It's sad to see what's going on with there. 
But now with the whole rescheduling aspect, it's the major schedule had already come out. The end of the elite series schedule had already come out and a tier schedule had, I think already come out at this point. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, by the way, we've rescheduled it for right during the middle of an elite series event. Also on the European swing. So a lot of players who, you know, fortunately do have the money are scheduling their flights already to go over to Europe and spend the, you know, two, three, four, five, six weeks, whatever out in Europe. And now you got players potentially now having to fly back to the U S just to fly back to Europe to make another major, another couple more elite series events, which especially with how much emphasis they're putting on the European, the merging of the tours with that. Um, it's just kind of seemed to be done too quick. Um, most of the, I would say pro outreach with it has been as Eagle had said, or as Paul had said, like reschedule the reschedule and there's plenty of more pros. And I think at this point they're trying to figure out what is the best time to reschedule it. And I think we can all have speculation on that. You could say, you know, beginning of the year, like it's originally planned, just put it somewhere else that mixes with the tour or end of the year, put it in the Southeast because we're ending in the Southeast anyway. So put it there. You kind of start in the Southeast and then the, eventually the tour brings it back to the East coast and you make your way down. Uh, but then you have four or five back to back to back to back tournaments that are four round, five round events. So it's, you know, it's not easy. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not easy whatsoever. I think realistically though, the biggest thing the PDGA can do at this point is really reach out with the disc golf pro tour and also the players and trying to figure out what is potentially the best time to put another major onto the schedule and where are they going to put it? Something that flows with the schedule, but with how, with how many tournaments there are nowadays. And I think with how many elite series events there are nowadays, a tiers that are, you know, throwing up to $2,500 for winning an a tier. Um, it's great money. And so players are wanting to play these events and all of a sudden you got, you know, top pros in the world's playing 25, 30, 35 events throughout the year. Maybe not top pros, but you're tend to, you know, tend to whatever. So I, it's, I crap situation yeah i think i think that's the best way to word it i i want to reiterate the reason why this is moving in the first place is because of something outside of all of disc golf's control which is the, the pine beetle infestation and having to remove it uh it, it, it's the course even without the you know county coming in and clearing it it's at a dangerous situation with these pine beetles uh hurting the trees and they can fall over and whatnot in dangerous situations so it it's out of disc golf's control trying to make the best of it it's clear by the players that it, uh they would like it to go a different direction i'm glad that they're now supposedly working with the players and the disc golf pro tour to find the best timing for it it's not an easy situation like it's Nick's saying uh, I, oh, I hope it gets figured out because i like this tournament it seems like they want to go to another wooded course just because it was originally rescheduled the northwood uh park so my guess is they want to really get it to a wooded course but at this point we'll see uh i'm hoping for a positive solution it's hard to make everyone happy uh it's very hard to do that so I, i'm crossing my fingers i'm hoping for the best because i do like this tournament and i want to see it uh be accepted and liked yeah so i think there were three things that kind of led to this now my safety investigation background is leading me to think about like what's the root causes here well there's a few things the the PDGA and the Disc Golf Pro Tour, this is the first year they've announced a collaboration for a tour where they've made events elite series in the way that they are over in Europe. That Some people thought maybe this was too early, maybe it's not, they don't really support it, whatever. That's all speculation on how they felt. I think it was a great thing. It's almost as if they forgot that they did that. Yeah. 
Because if this had been any other year, guys, and the Champions Cup lined up with a European event, maybe I'm wrong, but the feeling I have is nobody would have said anything. Yeah, I think you're onto it. Right? Right? Yeah. It's okay. So I, it's the communication. It's like, this is what we're communicating is important. We're doing this. And then all of a sudden it was like, we did something that actually said that that was not the case. So that stood out. Number two is they shifted the event because of what Evan said, the trees. And as part of that, you got to, I say you got to understand is if you don't, the listener here most likely does. Nate Heinold in the scenario and a team to run this event they only have the times and places they can do it. I have zero ins like insight there. I haven't talked to them, but like there's a lot of big, big moving parts. This isn't just getting a TD and like setting them up to like run out your local yeah. course. Like this is massive. Yeah, we're talking about a major, realistic, mm -hmm. and we've seen majors, you know, not necessarily fail, but have right, you know, some miserable times at those majors. Um, with so with mostly, you know, kind of things that the PDGA might have done. So this, my point is, this is not just the PDGA saying, oh, let's just slap another course in a place. Well, they have to make sure the team's there to run it. They have to make sure the course is up to the standards, all of that. So like the fact that Nate and his team said they would run it or however that was going to work, right? Like that was a time that they had available in the place. And there was mm -hmm. not to get in every detail there, but everything from using that one course to not letting Ledgestone use another during that same time in Northwoods. And, um... I think I said there was three things and I can't remember what the third was right now, but I would, I would say when I said they could have fixed all of this, <sighs> when they scheduled this out, I don't, uh, there's probably not one individual person here, but had they simply said, we, we let's look at our tour. Now, if they say our tour, they have to look at it all. Mm -hmm. So I think that would have just been the easy fix. And now going forward, what's the easy fix? Well, frankly, one of my thoughts was, why not just make something like, this is probably short-sighted, make another event that's already on tour right now, the major. Make another event, Champions Cup. Yeah, so yeah. make Des Moines something open. Like, yeah. So let's say, uh, like, just, just, just make I, another I event, the major. Like, that's we the easiest. So we don't have any majors out on the West Coast this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they had kind of figured out, you know, hey, maybe OTB open. Let's make that the so that's cup. that's the yeah. that's what I'm exactly. generally saying. That yeah. would be the easy fix, but again, there's a lot of yeah. moving parts with that. So I'm not saying it is easy, mm -hmm. but like that would be like the scheduling fix in my mind. Yeah. So Evan, any closing thoughts before we bring Jess in? No, I think you said it really well. I, I agree with Matt uh, uh, very much on this one overall. Wow, good. Wow, uh, we like gotta save that. We gotta save that soundbite. Yeah. Soundbite. I'm gonna put yeah. it in my stream deck even, instead of that'll, that'll do my friends. Instead of this, that'll do my friends. <laughs> instead yeah. of that, it will be. I agree with. I agree with Matt. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think it's very easy for us to agree when the PDGA makes a mistake. <laughs> I feel like we're mostly on the same page. Well, okay. <laughs> to be clear, I'm saying it's hard, and I agree with the yeah. uh, replacing an existing event. <laughs> okay, I I'm on team. Yeah. Nature is unbeatable, and it's tough to deal with that. Or yeah. cancel the major for what it's worth. It's not that valuable, at least to Paul Macbeth. And I'm putting words in his mouth, so I'm just purely saying here. He said he knows where he'll be. Mm -hmm. He is valuing one over the other. Now, I'm not saying whether he wants one or the other. But that's a demonstration. Now, actually, let me go back on that. He didn't say where he'd be. He implied. So all I'm saying is I think when you look at these players and their choices, 
Some of them are saying it is valuable. Mm -hmm. Some of them may not feel like it is. So I, I, originally, this tournament was supposed to go from W.R. Jackson to Toboggan. I don't, I don't know what the whole reason was switching that. Maybe they wanted to do a little bit more of a redesign to the toboggan course for uh, D-Glo. But originally, I thought Champions Cup was supposed to rotate back and forth between those two courses, W.R. Jackson and the toboggan. What I know is that Champions Cup was so well-received at W.R. Jackson. They that course not to keep it. For a while. Yeah. They loved the course. They wanted to keep it there. Now I feel like it's the wooded major. That's my interpretation. Mm, I like it. Yeah, I like so, it. Yeah, I like it too. But and I, I, I look for it to I come wanna, back. I want to start this transition. We've been keeping them long enough. Yeah. I say we get into the Jesse interview. Yeah. Absolutely. Here we go. Let's bring in. Uh, we don't usually do special music like this. We do our other guest intro. But this is a big deal, guys. This has been a while in the making here. Collaboration between Stat Mando and Ulti World and Jesse Weiss. Let's bring him in. Uh, you can go to interview or four up or however you want to do this here. But welcome to the show, Jesse. Everything was super delayed. We appreciate your yeah. patience very much. Um, so tell us, you got multiple, well, tell us who you are first. We've had you on before, but remind everybody, what do you do for disc golf? Um, I write for Ulti World as a freelancer. Um, and mostly I focus on data stuff. Um, just kind of whatever I'm curious about, I write about as a hobby. Uh, but I'm, you know, this is not what I do for a living. This is just kind of a hobby for me. A hobby and that's pretty much all disc golf ever is except for a select few uh companies or individuals who are really killing it out there um but so let's let's talk you had multiple um shoe articles come out i would like to hear about those but we're also going to do a significant portion of the conversation around this fandom survey which you're going to be able to tell us about so however you'd like to intro these um pieces i don't know what you want to call them i don't want to call them an article i feel like they deserve more than that so intro a little bit on the shoes here uh take it where you want to we've got questions relating to this and maybe you have some actual you want feedback from us as well so go ahead jesse sure uh so i was at worlds and i had no idea what i wanted to write about um but i had a press pass so i've got to write about something uh so i thought what do people online ask about all the time and what are the like common, you know, Reddit, Facebook questions? It's what shoes should I wear? And uh, it comes up all the time. And I thought, well, why don't I look at what pros wear? Because that these are people who are paid to play disc golf. It's very important what their footwear is in theory compared to all the rest of us. So if we, if I could look at all their different shoes and then, uh, you know, tally up what they're wearing, ask them why they're wearing that, I thought it might shed some light for us non-pros about what shoes might be most effective on the course. Uh, and so while I was working on that article, um, I got curious about idiom because this is a, disc, a shoe designed for disc golf. And so I uh, contacted Craig Kitchens, who's the guy who owns Idio, designs the shoes. Um, and I asked him, uh, I interviewed him for, for that. So there's an interview with Craig Kitchens. And then there's also this article on shoes, which kind of goes over the main shoes that players are wearing, what are the most popular ones and uh, quotes from them about why they wear them. Okay. So there are two. One is with the owner of Idio. Uh, I have a pair of Idio syncrasies, their first Kickstarter launched version uh, in full disclosure. <laughs> I am one who uh, cycles that into my shoe wear um, and I'm happy to have them. Uh, interested in any takeaways from that interview? And then maybe let's move into some interesting takeaways from what you noticed from the pros wearing shoes or <laughs> pros wearing shoes, but the kinds of shoes pros are wearing. 
Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed uh, talking with Craig. Uh, I think he's genuinely invested in making the best shoe for disc golf. And this is not like a, I want to make money in the short term. Like this is a long term. He wants to make a, su a superior disc golf shoe. Um, and it's a Kickstarter. Uh, so uh, my impression from Craig is that he was very open. He explained things that went wrong with the first edition of the shoes, the first runs and explain why those things went wrong and what they did to the fix them. So uh, I was left with a really positive impression of video and uh, with Craig. So, uh, you know, I really support them. And, do, do we yeah, call people who wear idios idiots? Is that how it works? Did he, I, I did he, so. okay. All right. We're a bunch of idiots, but um, <laughs> you can quote me on that. Um, I, Evan, I know we were talking before you had a question for him. Let me lead into it. And then you can ask him specifically. I, I liked the question about, uh, hey, why are only four people in the pro tour wearing your shoes right now? And more or less, like, why are why are you having to pay them to wear your shoes? I, I you probably didn't quite say it that way, but as a reader, I'm like, ooh, that's fun. So he handled that question pretty well. Um, and what what was the ultimate takeaway that he said about that? Uh, well, you know, it's a complicated answer, and and one that I think really you know probably annoys him. Is right. that he's made this shoe for disc golfers. It's got all these different features that are specifically for disc golf. Um, and uh, the, the interview explains kind of why, how this is a disc golf shoe, what they did to design it that way. Um, but his impression was that a lot of disc golfers, they wanted sponsorship money to wear <laughs> the shoes because he's a disc golf company. And whereas, you know, Nike or, you know, other companies, uh, I guess they treat it differently. Uh, so it's kind of like a double standard. Uh, maybe that's, that's kind of the impression I got from him was that he felt like there was a bit of a double standard. Let, let me put, um, let me put it like this because I agree. I, I thought that was super interesting to hear his response. And then Evan, I'm going to let you ask that question specifically if you want to ask it differently. Players are like, hey, I'll wear your shoe for X amount of dollars a month. But yet they'll go out and wear Merrells and Nikes and Adidas. And in fact, they will pay for those shoes. And then they will reach out to Adidas and be like, hey, like, I'll wear this for whatever. You know, like, I, I, like I, I'm doing this for you on purpose so that like I give you attention. Like, what can you do for me? but disc golfers won't do that for a disc golf shoe. Like, Hey, I'm going to wear your shoe to help put exposure on your shoe in hopes that the market grows. And then we can do something together. It sounded real. I've never thought of it in that light. And I thought that article in that part was really interesting um, to see that they're like, when it comes to a disc golf product, you got to pay the disc golfer to wear it. But if it comes to anything else and it seems a little bit backwards. So that was interesting. Evan, do you have any follow-up on that? Did I ask it incorrectly or you have more? No, you asked it pretty much how I wanted to, and Jesse answered it pretty much how I wanted him to. I like I learned a lot there because uh, the way you write the article, it's it's uh, you interviewing him, and you don't have time to react and say your opinion on it. I, I did want to open the floor if you had anything else to say on why you think uh, that pros haven't caught on. But I, the answer you gave was adequate in my mind. But I'll, I'll at least give it the chance if you had any like you, Jesse Weiss. What did you take away uh, from asking him? Uh, I mean, one of the other things he, he mentioned is that pros don't really want to try something new. So they, they don't necessarily, you know, this is a brand new shoe. They don't necessarily want to be the first ones to wear it to some degree. But 
I mean, I, I think Craig's probably right to some degree. Um, you know, he also said that pros really care about style a lot. Some people said that they wouldn't wear a shoe because they didn't like the, you know, the colorways of it, that they wanted to see, you know, different, you know, it to look a little different. So a lot of them care about style too, but it, there's so many different pros. And so I think it's hard to speak to, to, to any of them. And I think Craig's just hoping that eventually they'll catch on and that more yeah. people will wear them. Um, it's it, the shoes have only been on people's feet for a year now. Yep. Uh, and it feels like video has been around for a while, um, but it really hasn't. And so these are, these are, you know, new on the market. And so, um, yeah, I, I we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, one thing I did want to talk about is when the reaction to my article was, and it, including my shoe article, I often just saw people like immediately, their immediate reaction was, you know, idios, you know, are, you know, pieces of junk, they wear down too quick or, you know, mine fell apart or whatever. Um, or I more, even more often, I had friends who's fell apart or I heard they fell apart or that they were um, not good shoes. And I think that, that to me was a little frustrating. Um, you know, somebody, I, I've run two of my own businesses. I'm running my own business for the last 16 years. And if I were judged by what my product was like in the first year or the first, you know, first iteration, the first run, I wouldn't be in business still. You know, it, it takes a while to improve things. And a Kickstarter, you know, part of paying for a Kickstarter is knowing, knowing that you're investing in a startup. Yep. And that it's probably not going to be perfect, but you're helping to invest in the future and make something that could really suit you and your audience. That's a great, that is a fantastic point. I, I did the Kickstarter wanting to support this and give a go at these shoes. I fully expect that they're going to do different things. I think I even saw in one of your portion of your article, by the way, the chat's asking questions about the toe box, all this stuff. Go check out the article. There's a great interview with the owner. He's talking about these changes, but even changing things from like the rubber texture to making it maybe a little softer, just trying to figure out all these balances. Uh, and so I'm excited to try the new iteration of video. Ooh, iteration of idio. That um, sounds cool. <laughs> definitely down to try it. Um, mine have not worn out. I do not wear them every single round. I wear them. It seems funny, but like I kind of cycle my shoes a little bit. I've got some Adidas Terex. I've got, I just cycle them and I actually like them enough. They, they tend to be minimalistic in my mindset, like lighter uh, material. It's a pretty light shoe. A lot of tread on the bottom as far as like not cleats, but like it's got anyways. It's a, it's a good shoe. Um, everybody's experience is going to be different. I think that's what the article points out. Evan, you had a follow-up on Idio here, and we can move over into the generic portion of the shoes. Yeah, one, one takeaway I had was uh, the, the owner of Idio going through, like Anthony Brella specifically, and I, I forget the technology specific, uh, that it was, but the Adidas shoes with like almost like the air pump, is that right? Something like that. Maybe you know. Off it's like the, head, boost, Jeff, the boost cushion or something. The boost. AB wears ultra boosts. Yeah, boost. Yeah. Ultra yeah. boosts. There we go. Yeah. So uh, the type of shoe that is is now built into his form. Uh, and so when he throws, he's expecting to have this type of boost uh, coming from a shoe that's switching to Idio or a different type of shoe. He would have to rework his form. That, that was like something I would never have expected from being just an amateur level who I'm like, yeah, I'll throw on any pair of shoe, which right. one's the most comfortable and durable to be like, oh, my form changes based on my shoe. Uh, that was really interesting. And then the second thing I wanted to say was um, the, the owner talking about um, 
kind of his demographic and going to pros, they were really picky, not just on style, as you mentioned, but also type like Anthony Barella. Uh, and by your next article, which we'll get into, there was so many different styles um, that he will, he, I think he was thinking towards going to an amateur um, market, or at least that's a part of it might be the largest one. I mean, you obviously have more people that are amateurs than pros, but I did find that really interesting that it might be the shoe of amateurs just because at their level, you only can have one model or you only can have one or two that uh, you cast the widest net to catch the most amount of fish. Uh, But so that brings me into your next article. And I, I wanted you just to give a quick overview of the different types of shoes, maybe that uh, pros were wearing at Worlds. I mean, just like it, when I heard zero drop for the first time, I had no clue what it was. So maybe just the different types in a uh, basic sense like that. Sure. So uh, the, I divided the shoes in a couple different ways. Uh, so uh, number one, I number one category put in is disc golf shoes, and that's one shoe. That's the Idio, uh, the Syncrasy, which is their only model. Um, and, uh, then the other, the next one was, uh, hiking shoes. So, you know, think about the Terex, um, that's kind of like the classic disc golf hiking shoe that Macbeth really kind of put on the map as like the disc golf shoe. Um, interestingly enough, he was not wearing a Terex there because his Terex is broke in Europe. And so he had to buy another shoe and he couldn't get any Terexes. So he, uh, got uh, a Salmon. Um, uh, the next category was uh, trail running shoes. So uh, the Nike uh, Pegasus something or other is that's that's kind of the main uh, main uh, trail running shoe that people people liked. I can pull up the article real quick and tell you what that art one is. A Nike Pegasus Trail Four. That's the uh, most popular one there for trail running shoes. Um, and then there's barefoot trail running shoes. Uh, so uh, the Vivo barefoots are the most popular there, and those are zero drop shoes. They're barefoot shoes, and there's a kind of a in the article, I explain what's the difference between a zero drop and a, and a barefoot shoe and, and all that. Um, and then there's a category set others. And so the main thing in others are vans, which are kind of its whole category in themselves. And then there was things like outliers, like uh, Calvin's Nike flying uh, <laughs> shoes. Uh, and then also uh, Missy Gannon wears uh, uh, turf golf shoes uh, for for turf pads. So. There's there's a little variety there, but those are the main categories. Huh. Yeah. And I bought a pair of Terex back when Paul made them famous and he was sponsored by Adidas. That I so it's very accurate. Like that's where they I feel like the major inception came from for those shoes. Um the the barefoot or the zero drops, my understanding is it's just the lacking of that arch support. It's more like it's a flat insole without the drop from heel to toe it's it's like being barefoot inside of a shoe and that that sounds funny but like right now that's a barefoot inside of a shoe we all are no but like in all seriousness there's a there's this move towards that for a lot of people to go back to the original form of human walking right and but doing it and protecting your feet at the same time my brother i think runs he'll text me when he listens to this episode and confirm it but uh i think he runs with zero drop in a lot of situations he does trail running he does road running he's done 100 milers but i I think that's interesting um the big thing for me is waterproof did you find that i think we saw that in your article like most people like the fact that they can get waterproof shoes but they also change depending on the conditions right yeah there there there's a lot of change depending on the conditions I, i will say one thing about a zero drop is a zero drop shoe can have padding. Um, it's just not barefoot when it has the padding. So oh. the, the barefoot shoes basically have larger toe boxes. 
Right. Uh, they they have almost no padding. You know, they're kind of very minimal issues. Whereas you can have something like an Ultra that's zero drop, but it's got like a healthy pad on it. Um, so uh, there's that. In terms of waterproof, you know, you guys were there at Worlds. Uh, it was raining, especially that day one. Um, and I was taking, uh, and there's some of the other days it was kind of muddy. So um, a lot of a lot of pros do like waterproof shoes. Um, but, you know, if it's not raining, then they might not wear them. You know, waterproof shoes don't breathe as well in general. Mm -hmm. So some people just are just like, well, I'll just get my feet wet. And then at least the water's not kind of getting trapped in there. But, you know, it's up to up to the pro. But uh, there were a bunch of pros who were wearing different shoes on different days when, when I when I saw them. I, and the two types of courses too that you have a yeah. a, a wooded rocky rudy course in Bruce Ridge and then you have an uh, open <laughs> there we go an open uh, grassy course in uh, Fox Run so it I mean it's kind of the two opposite sides of the spectrum we're only missing like a, a <laughs> this goes like daylight or something this probably needs not be said but the amateur level between especially me Ben and Evan sorry I included you Ben you know we're getting there but. And Nick, I don't know, but like, I do not know that big of a difference between my shoes and my throw, like combined. I could be like, think about my shoes and how I like them and like, think about my throw, but like the combination of those two, like to the point that Adam, uh, uh sorry, Anthony Barella made about his throw and his shoe, uh, to where I'd be like, you know, I'm playing Brewster. So I want this shoe. I mean, I guess if I was really well, practicing, this, I might Matt. go between like a paver and then I might say, I didn't like the way that shoe felt on those like turf tee pads. I might well, actually do World, that. Worlds is a good example because yeah. you have pavers on True. one side and you have I might. a nice, I might. nice turf yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Like for me personally, I wear, you know, a pair of shoes that's a little bit more beat up on concrete pads because Ooh. I know they're towards the end of its life. I don't have much more with these. I'm going to use those on the concrete pads. <laughs> so but Daniel, then, Daniel from Texas says he changes his shoes yeah, on every hole. On every hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've changed between <laughs> rounds before. Shoes. <laughs> yeah. I've changed between rounds before I'll go from mm. waterproof shoe in the morning and then I'll use, uh, nice. if it's the dew is cleared up or whatever, and it's nice and dry on the ground. I'll go to a more comfortable, lighter, more breathable uh, shoe for the dude, second I, round. I gotta try that. Yeah, but I also then, you play Team Challenge, Matt. Do you wear like like winter boots when no. you play in the snow, or are you still wearing your normal? I wear so like the Adidas Terex. They're yeah. waterproof. I'll wear a nice layer, like a liner, and then like a nice uh, sock, right? And then I'll wear yeah. gaiters so the snow doesn't get in. But no, I don't usually change up uh, so too much. Realistically, a lot of it is also a comfort thing. What they be, it's comfort right. to his form now. If you think back on the Jonesboro playoff between Calvin and Paul, and Cal uh, Paul had kind of tripped up on the tee pad, mm -hmm. Calvin was able to throw a nice smooth shot, ended up winning the playoff. What Calvin said afterwards, he was like, I don't wear as aggressive, an aggressive type of shoe as Paul does. Paul's always been wearing the Terexes, the trail running shoes, the ones with sturdy grip. And then you see Calvin's shoes and, you know, we always make the joke that he looks like his ankles are about to blow out the sides of them. But I mean, at that point, it's just a comfort thing, too. But for me, the biggest thing is what type of tee pad am I playing on? So if I'm playing on rubber mats and turf pads, then I like wearing a more comfortable shoe that I know is still going to get good grip on those tee pads. When I'm playing on pavers, I know, or pavers or even concrete pads, a lot of courses are going to concrete pads, which there's not a type of material out there yet that's going to last a long time on concrete pads. We play Buffenville a large majority of the time. I mean, it's all concrete pads there and they just, 
you just blow through shoes. For Idio, that's one of their selling points, right, Jesse? They talk about the, I think they call it the drag on toe, like as in a play on mm-hmm. dragon, but it's, mm-hmm. it's specifically for the bad habit of dragging your toes yeah. if you do that. Um, I think this is all interesting, but I want people to go over and check out that article as opposed to giving them all the details. But is there any final takeaway, like just in this conversation before we move into the fandom survey, like something you just kind of want to summarize or anything at all about shoes that was interesting for you? I would say like one of the most interesting things I found out is, the, is, is that things are moving towards barefoot. Mm. Um, and so that's something to keep, a, keep an eye on. If I wrote, written this article two, art, two years ago, three years ago, almost nobody probably would have been wearing barefoot shoes. I mean, Nick, you probably would know better than, than I would, but that was kind of the sentiment I got was mm-hmm. uh, Seth Muncy told me that it was really, he trains people barefoot, like actually barefoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Eagle really liked that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then he started experimenting with barefoot shoes and, and Seth didn't really want to encourage people to use barefoot shoes uh, on disc golf because he was worried about, you know, these are pros, they're putting tons of force on their feet, like more so than, you know, us normal people. Yeah. And that uh, he was worried somebody was going to really hurt themselves wearing barefoot shoes. Mm-hmm. But Eagle, you know, experimented with it, liked it. And then Eagle, you know, loved it so much that other and started started wearing them. He got a, I guess he got a little deal from, he's probably got some kind of deal from Bevo. Mm-hmm. And then other pros started copying eagle just like people copied paul when he, paul went to the Terex. Mm-hmm. so um and it seems like a lot of players a lot of players in their quotes told me that like that switch to barefoot was really a big change for them and they really are glad they did it that they yeah. can, they just have a better feel for you know everything like if they're more in, basically more touch with the ground mm-hmm. um i don't know it felt like they were like more in control specifically yeah i i feel like and maybe I'm wrong because I don't have barefoot shoes, but like in the woods, trail, running, all that kind of stuff, it's really great. It lets you feel really closer to what you're on, supposed to just like a pavement fitting it hard and flat. Um, yeah. Was anyone wearing Vibram five finger <laughs> toes? I'm just thinking Hannah back to Hannah like McBeth. Hannah McBeth back in 2010. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Or oh, 2000. He still wears them, and he's the mayor. He was the mayor of his, or the, the, the basically the equivalent of the mayor president of his town. And he wear them like he wears them constantly. He owns a very big company, and he wears them to like meeting very important big meetings. He's wearing five fingers everywhere. <laughs> I call. I, I, I never yeah. got into those. No, I, they did, not me. I just yeah. called out Hannah. That's the bat signal for Hannah. I can't wait for her, her to yeah. chime in here and be like, Matthew Graham, how did you tell everybody? But that's how she started. No, that is one of the things yeah. I remember about her starting in disc golf. Um, all that being said, I'm still rehabbing my ankle for those who are at all, even in the background of your head. This is four and a half months later or, or longer now. And part of my thought process here is shoes because I'm thinking about strengthening and maybe get doing some running. I got to find a good pair of shoes, but it goes into like when I was wearing um, the Idios, they're pretty tight and compact as shoes should be in my opinion, but I was wearing like a light ankle brace. And I know I saw Paige doing this too. Like it, it was really tough to pack it all in there, but uh, in- interesting shoes are a great conversation. And I thought the article was interesting, unique, well mm-hmm. done and something that others should go and check out. They should just go visit Ulti world and look for that. Is that the best way? Easiest way? Yeah. It's on the, if you look on the main menu or if you look for, you know, Jesse Weiss disc golf shoes, maybe you'll find it that way, but okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's somewhere there on Ulti world. All right. Well, if you're ready, let's go ahead and move us into the fandom survey portion where we get to talk about the players that were voted in as the fan favorites and a lot more. But stick around because you're going to find out if you haven't seen it yet. It just released a couple hours ago after before our live show. Uh, 
who's at the bottom of this list and who's at the top of this list and where do you want to be and why are you there? I mean, there's a lot we want to break down here. I have, I have a whole bunch of thoughts and questions. Evan, I know you thought about this. Nick and Ben, it just dropped before the show. I don't have any expectations that you got to it. Ben's, I mean, Nick's blasting rocks. He's not reading. Yeah, I got to it. All right. Well, we're going to see. We're going to see here. So you were on the show talking about this survey. So we don't have to get into a whole bunch because a lot of our listeners know, and I saw in the article that a good amount came from the Nick and Matt show, uh, two or 300, if I'm not mistaken, it submitted uh, survey results uh, for you coming on the show here. So our audience understands this was feedback to understand as much as we could about why people are the way they are and what what people like and who they like and and how does that correlate? That's all very interesting. They can find this article, uh, both of them, the like the people who were doing these votes as well as now who did they vote for? Both of those are up right now. And so I'm not quite sure where we want to start with this. So I'll let you intro it. Like I I don't know where I, I have I have questions, but I just want to let you intro this concept of where you're at. Sure. So uh, we released two articles today. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is kind of, we don't really know when to publish this one because it's basically the demographics that we, that, that we received for all of our fan survey because it's important for people, people to know what are the sample sizes, what's the political skew, what's, you know, where, what, where are people coming from. So we release all of that in one article that may or may not be interesting to you. <laughs> uh, the article that people actually want to read that's, that we're really promoting today is the who, who do fans root for and root against. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the main article. And that's one of the many questions that we ask on our fan survey. So um, this is going to be the first of, I don't know how many articles we're going to come out with, but it's, it's going to be at least five or six articles as far as I'm planning. And usually, you know, it ends up being more than I want to write, but. Um, right now that's, that's kind of where, where it's looking at. And we've got, uh, this one's on, on the, on the, the players. And then I, I can talk later on about the, what, what the other ones are going to be about. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we talk about players as a baseline for those who haven't read the article, you can, the voting system is typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, zero to 10. Zero being either anti or non-existent kind of a thing. Five being neutral and 10 being extremely positive or in favor of. Is that generally correct? <laughs> Zero is rooting against. Rooting against. We don't want to say dislike or hate or anything like that, because that's not what this is about. <laughs> yeah. You can root against somebody yeah. and think that they're you know, a really nice person. I, there are players who I root against who I really like as people. I just okay. like rooting against them as a fan. And then <laughs> uh, 10 is you know, your absolute, you know, somebody you're rooting for as hard as possible. And then five is kind of neutral. And so anything below five is a, you know, you're, you're rooting against them to some degree and anything above five, you're rooting for them to some degree. Can we do, can we do uh, next year media personalities and disc golf? Can we add that to see how much people hate do me? Do you want to? Yeah. I mean, just so we do have commentators as part of the survey and that's going to be one of the articles about all the DGN and Jomez commentators. Okay. Yeah. We, we see, um, we, we see, don't see have media yeah. personalities yet. <laughs> yes. I just want to see if it's actually yeah. true. The correlation between those who talk the most are the most disliked and those uh, anyways, that's a whole uh, thing I've thought of. Okay. I think you're going to find a lot of fives for most people <laughs> in media and it's going to really make them sad because like on, on, the, on the, on the graphs, if you look at a distribution, it looks like a middle finger. It's just this yeah. big five going up. And, you know, this year, 
uh, a bunch of, you know, Larry Lennon, Lennon, Lennon I think was got, a, got a, a middle finger and uh, <laughs> uh, Lori Lightning got a middle finger and yeah. uh, on commentators, Grant Zellner got <laughs> one and then D and then uh, DGA has gotten one for manufacturers. So those are kind of the, I have no idea what you're talking about. Who's this? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. So, so I'm glad I, you brought that up. So yeah. zero, I'm, I'm I'm glad you specified what that meant. Zero. You're right. It's not hate. It's not we're root. It's, it's we're rooting against as a fan. Yeah, so my goal is to be a giant. You just like you either hate me or you yes. love me <laughs> in the middle. Evan, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the things that I kind of came up with as I was reading through this is like, and I, I, I'm interested in breaking this down a little bit, Jesse, to see what your opinions are on this, because it felt like there was a definitely a correlation between possibly being somebody's favorite player. Literally, like I'm typing down my favorite player is and, and filling in a blank and being asked about a player. There's a difference there because and I'll pull it up now. Paul Macbeth, where does he fall in your rank? Right. As far as like fandom survey, what number was that? Is that is he like. Uh 10th, 11th, uh, 15th. Right here. He yeah, was. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just, just to clarify, we asked the question 19. two different ways. You're right, Matt. Right. So we, what we ask for, uh, from, what we ask is a zero to 10 for each of the players. Right. But then we're also asking who is your absolutely favorite player? later. So, so, so you, you're right. Yeah. You asked them about like a list of what, what was it? 30, 40 players, right? Or more. Yeah. Basically okay. everybody in the survey, we ask who is your favorite player. Right. And then we also ask you to do zero 10. So this way, cause this way we can get an idea of relative yes. popularity of all the players. Yes. And then we can also get an idea of who are the most popular players in, in the sport using kind of these two different ways of looking at it. A more traditional one is who's your favorite player. And then mm -hmm. a more statistical way of doing that is, is, is using a, a Likert scale, a zero to 10 scale. But so Evan, you said 19th in his average rank or rating that people did for him, Paul Macbeth. Yeah, his average. Nin 19th average. What was his number average? It was... I think it was 6.66. 6.66. It's okay. kind of funny, Mr. McBeast. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, the beast. Um, so, but here's my point. And there's something interesting about this. And Jesse, you probably can enlighten us. Or Evan, you're probably giving your... your you have the similar thoughts on this. When asked those same people who are ranking players, who is your favorite player? Paul is third place. And so I have some thoughts on this and let me just share it and then tell me if I'm way off here. Paul's been around a while. He's grown a significant fan base during his tenure of dominance. And those people are still bought in that that's their favorite player. Like it's hard to come to a favorite player until they've like, you've established it. I am their fan and they've done amazing things. That's who I'm going to say every time I'm asked. And so for Paul, let's just say to fall off as like a general rule of people rating and ranking him, like there's still that core that he has that's like, but he is my favorite player. And, and like, to me, there's a difference between polling the, what was it, 3,000 and something people and saying, just evaluate how you feel about all these players and then saying, who is your favorite? Uh, I think it's interesting because, and this was to Evan's point, if you're in the middle and people are picking fives for you, they feel indifferent, right? So it could be easy for a player to, in the average scope here, find themselves right in the middle. Nobody knows or loves you. Nobody knows and rooting against you. Those players are not going to be favorite players. 
even though you might have like a generally okay number right around where Paul McBeth is right at that, like 20 to 25 mark, they're not going to be a favorite player, but he had been long enough in this role of fan favorite for long enough that he's still a favorite player, even though he's not getting ranked that way uh, in the general survey. That's a lot. I said, you have to read the article yourself. Any reaction to that, Jesse? Yeah. You know, Paul, Ricky, Paige, they have very flat distributions. So right. there's people who feel about them in many different ways. And that's because people actually have feelings about them. There's a lot of players where it's like, I don't have any negative feelings about this person. I hardly know them. There's nothing, there's nothing for me to root against. Whereas Paul's been beating everybody else's favorite players for a decade now. Yeah. And same thing with Paige. <laughs> so that engenders um, can, can engender negative feelings from a lot of fans. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's why Paul isn't as popular. Now, last year he was much more popular. He was higher up in, in rank last year. His, his fandom score fell a bunch this year. Um, and, you know, why that is, you know, we, we can, you know, there's a couple ways, a couple things we can guess about that. Um, but um, one, of the, one of the ways we look at the data is we can also look at age and see the age of the fans and also how long they've been following disc golf. Now, Paul's much more popular with older fans, with fans who've been following the sport longer. It's the newer fans. And, you know, if you look at our survey data, we, we haven't released, you know, when people started following disc golf, but a lot of people started following in 2020, 2021, 2022. And so a lot of these people did not see dominant Paul Macbeth. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have quite the same feelings that maybe people who started, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, how they feel about Paul. So I get that's a long-winded answer to explain that, you know, how people feel about Paul is they have feelings about Paul, whereas they don't necessarily have feelings about a lot of these other players that are as exactly. And we know where Evan said he wants to be. And and before we move into other questions here, which is fan, this could go on all night. There's so much insight here we could look into. You gave, I think, more insight there than I read in your article, meaning uh, Paul's more of a fan favorite amongst those maybe who are older or been in disc golf longer. Um, you have this all piled up in your brain right now and probably on your computer. Uh, I appreciate that. So we can ask these questions and maybe get some more insight here. Uh, you did everything from finding out people's... Um, how they would describe themselves as being religious, like from a, a like I'm very religious, not religious, whatever. Uh, you're asking questions that I think would be interesting at some level. You mentioned uh, Alden Harris and Gannon Burr as maybe being um, more likely to have a religious following. <laughs> it sounds funny to say it that way, but like people who would say that they were religious at some level would be more likely, or they have a higher level of following for those players. Um, what are you doing? Are, are you going to sit here all winter and just look at the correlations? Like there's so much data here and it's interesting for those who like to do it. Uh, it's, it's in so much data and <laughs> there's so much that I could, you know, that article, if you, if you look at the article, it's really, really long. And I, you know, I just put in a fraction of what I could have put in that article. <laughs> and so we'll have some other articles that'll specifically look at religion. Like, you know, for example, one of the things, if you look at Isaac Robinson and then you look at preference gaps between uh, people who are not religious and people who are religious, it, you know, zero religiosity, one religios religiosity up to 10 religiosity. Mm -hmm. You look at it, it looks like a rainbow. It goes, you know, the, the more religious you are, the more you like Isaac Robinson. Um, so there are certain players where there is this huge religious correlation. And then if you take a player like, 
Thomas Gilbert or Paige Pierce, they're going to have the opposite rainbow um, because you know they they identify as gay, and that's for a lot of the religious fans, that's not something that they like. Mm -hmm. So um, there, there's like one way to describe how much data we have. I was speaking with um, uh, an owner of a disc golf company and uh, about, about the data. And he mentioned that, you know, he really liked MVP's branding. He said it was really smart that they uh, have the science branding. He bets that they get a lot of people who like science and math. And we happened to ask on the survey, what was your favorite subject matter in high school? Which I thought was kind of a silly question to ask, but I was immediately able to create for him a graph that showed exactly how popular <laughs> oh, each brand was with based on what your favorite subject matter was in high school. And of course, MVP was way up there. They, Come they had significant, on. Yeah, significantly higher than any other company. We'll, we'll put that in the next article. Um, so I don't, I guess I don't want to step on that Holy cow, much, but, man, this is so marketing genius. This is marketing yeah. genius. Like you, you're going to be able to sell this data at some point to like marketers or companies. Like they want to know this. They probably already know who they're marketing to. I mean, to be fair, they probably do, but that is interesting. Um, here's one for you. I don't know how difficult it is to accomplish. I know like Statmando does query codes and all this stuff. They can just figure it out. But is it manually like how how hard is this to do? Or you could be like, okay, so out of all the people who voted Paul Macbeth as their favorite player, I want to see how they also like felt about Ricky Wysocki. And is there a correlation between you like Paul and you don't like Rick, right? Like those kinds of things. I mean, it's probably pretty easy to see, but man, do you have people working with you or is it just you like going in? Because there's so much, as you said about the Ricky versus Paul, we wrote about that in last year's fan mm -hmm. survey. So mm -hmm. if you look at mm -hmm. last, the 2020, 2022, we have a heat map and showing exactly, you know, the ratio of people who hate Ricky and love Paul and uh, vice versa. And then people who love them both, people who hate them both. We've got it like a heat map of all that. Um, like, like, you know, the strike zone. Uh, heat right. Maps. We've got I do remember that now. Yes. Yeah. So uh, in terms of uh, how hard this is to, to handle, um, I mean, I am not a, I'm not great with Excel or Google Sheets. Uh, you know, I'm learning as I go. Um, but a lot of the Statmando people have been helping me out. So um, uh, just so many people on their team uh, that that have been really helpful. And there's been a kind of a core that have been working with with me on this. Uh, Doug, Josiah, um, and uh, uh, Josh, and Carl, um, and Carl, of course. Yeah, yeah that's kind of been my, uh, my my core of people who've been. Uh, helping me uh, work on the database. Um, and then what we're trying to do is make it so that next year, all the formulas are already in there. And so as Ooh. the servers are coming in, it's going to populate wow. all these different tabs. There you sheets. Because it took me a month to process all the data um, after <laughs> we closed the fan survey. Now I'm finally getting to actually writing them. We're hoping that we're going to do all of that ahead of time uh, so that we can release these articles earlier. And also so we have information for the industry earlier. Wow. Okay. So let's do two things. Let's, let's do this little, uh, hype and exciting who got number one, number two, number three, let's go to third place fandom vote. Who's got third place, Jesse. Do you know it off the top of your head? <laughs> it's like, I got so off much. My head. Uh, uh, I think I, I know who it is. I have Are you guys quiz quiz quizzing me on my article? We're quizzing you, you on your you article. I know the top two and I'm, tr Oh, Oh, I know the third. I know the third. I got it. Am I correct in saying Calvin Heimberg? It is Calvin Heimberg, yes. Okay, good.
And number two, everybody being relinquished from their number one and reigning reigning spot. Uh, my, you know, my, uh, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? I picked on her a lot this year. Kristen Tatar. Yeah. She moved down one. And that's probably no thanks to me saying, you know, hey, it's boring to watch. But she went down one notch. And then in number one, we have... Do you guys know who it is? Yeah. Nico Lacan... No, I'm kidding. Miss <laughs> Lazat. <laughs> yeah. Um... All right, let's just say congrats to Simon on that. I mean, it's not something he's probably trying to achieve. He's trying to be a good person, good content. I think it just naturally. And it happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he might even be embarrassed by it. He, if like, you ask like, him, oh, he'd be like, oh, like, oh yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm glad you said that, Evan, because yeah. that was my follow-up here is like, how do you feel as a player? I'm talking specifically on this positive end right now. To find that you have so much fan support. Um is there anything that stands out to you, Jesse? Have you thought about that? Like, what does it mean for these players when they see that? Or is that not a, a really a good data point? Like, what do you think their reactions are? I, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, I really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings with this. Um, you know, that's definitely not my intention. Um, so I, I hope nobody, you know. I, I mean, specifically I, here on the positive end. I hope that doesn't hurt sure. their feelings. You know, on, they on got the positive fans. end? Yeah. I think it's probably great to hear and it's also great to bring your the manufacturer that you work with yes. and say hey look I'm one of the most popular players in the sport and we again we have so much data we can slice it a million different ways and say that they're popular with this segment they're popular in this part of the country mm. uh, they're popular with people who earn over $150,000 like there's a million different ways we can slice this data um, that is really useful for players and manufacturers to make decisions on you know who to sign with yeah, and so more about the, and when when we get to the next article about manufacturers, but I think there's a lot of positive there. And if we go to the negative side, I think that for some players, maybe this is a reality check. This is you know okay. I you know if I want to be popular, if I want to sell more discs, if I want to make more money, then maybe I need to change certain things about how I act on the course or off the course. Let's let's move it there in about thirty seconds to the negative side because I we do. Well, I say negative those. This was who people were voting against, right? That's what we said. That's how we're wording this. Yeah. Okay. Rooting against. Yeah. Um, but before we move there, a little bit of a negative. <laughs> There's always this like someone peed in my soup kind of, or my Cheerios kind of a thing. But for Simon, I think I noticed and my math might have been off, but he might have had about 20 people give him a zero. Do you think that was accidental? No, I mean, you, you know, a lot of people are contrarians. And, you know, Simon's not, not everybody's going to love Simon. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 <laughs> people out of 3,000 people. <laughs> 20 people yeah. out of 3,040 people are not going to like Simon. That's just the way it is. That's the way the math That makes me feel there's, better about myself. There's always going to be one jealous person out there who is just jealous of something that someone else is achieving in life, which very Do you think that's easily, jealous? I think or do you think it. there's just something that rubs them wrong? No, I, I think majority of it is jealousy. You can't dislike Simon. You can if you're jealous I mean, of what okay. you know he I, has. I think you could also make the argument that if you're like the hardest core dismedia fan and you're like <laughs> yeah. no matter so what, pissed off that he yeah. left. Yeah. And then you could be upset that he left. Yeah. Now, like I it might have been Eagle that. that put the zero there. We don't know, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. But it was 0.7%, or I think that was correct. 0.7% of and I just estimated it. I know not everybody voted for everybody. I saw that, you know, criteria in there, but generally it's probably in that 20. 
persons mm-hmm. or people uh, voted that way. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, it's or it's somebody that got shafted like at an event. They waited in line. He never showed up the autograph tent. They're like a yeah. zero. <laughs> like it could be yeah. things like that. It's mm-hmm. for what it's worth. If 3,000 people and 20 people say they don't like them, that's winning. Mm-hmm. Um, the more people that know you, the more people that dislike like dislike you or are rooting against you, they have 20, that's a win. It can be, uh, it one can thing be about Simon, Go ahead. I want to say is it's kind of mathematically improbable, but he had an uh, 8.98 average last year of his mm. fandom score. It's 8.99 this year. Wow. So for it to be within you know two decimals, it's just a kind of crazy that that it's exactly the same level of popularity he had last year that is a great point um and just to just to say you see people rise up and drop off depending on winning events or being on coverage a lot like isaac robinson shot up the most obviously winning worlds being a much improved player uh but simon after not dropping off after his meteor meteor meteoric meteor meteoric what, why can't I speak? I oh my god, you're trying to say meteoric. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I still feel like that's wrong, but anyways, uh, he had a great season in 2022. It's really hard to follow that up. No one else got four elite or major wins this season in MPO, uh, to get more fandom while having a let's say worse season just based on wins. I think it's really impressive. Big switch, and then also, it, you know, one of those zeros could have been someone who didn't make the shot of the day vlog. You know, they submitted it and they didn't get chosen. And there you go. They didn't get the shot of the day. Boom. Zero for Simon. Ben, you posted a video of an ace. Did you get on shot of the day? Uh, I'll be on the next video shot of the day, which is coming soon. So you wish. Yeah. So you wish. (laughs) I will be. I'm just kidding. I bet that video doesn't even come out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. File corrupted. Yeah. It might not come out. We'll see. Okay. Moving down officially, I don't have this like scary music to move down. I should have set that up, but moving down to the the rooting against players, there's a little bit of interest here, I think, to go to both sides of the spectrum, positive and against. Both of them are really cool information to have. I think if you're a player, you take you take it to your sponsor if you're at the top. And if you're a player at the bottom of this, you don't take it to your sponsor, but you work extremely hard with somebody to figure out how to change this for yourself. Um, and I, I don't want to say it goes without saying, but I did this as a test tonight with my family. And I said, anybody have an idea who's at the bottom? Uh, they didn't have a guest for the bottom officially. I said, Natalie Ryan. And they said, oh, it makes sense when you think about all the stuff that went down this year, right? Whether or not you have an actual understanding of that person, who they are, what they're like off the course, what you do know about them was a lot of conflict, right? And so that's hard to, unless you're in their shoes or you're very close friends, you're probably not rooting for that to happen. And so it's hard to do that. Now, We'll just move move along from Natalie Ryan being at the bottom there. Uh, so I'll say who is next, and my wife says out loud, Nico LaCastro. And I said, "Wow, you got it." So like, it seems pretty obvious um, that that might be the case out of the list of people who might be at the bottom. But here you go. That, moving along from those two, the third from the bottom, chat. If you read the article, you'll probably get this. But if you didn't read it, guess who you think's third from the bottom? You're listening at home. Joel. Who's this player? Is that your guess? Did you read the article? No. Let's do sad piano. So 
Joel Freeman, everybody, finds himself at the yeah. essence, the bottom of this chart. Now, what is it about Joel that you think is creating this? Because we asked, what is it about Simon? I think, what is our perspective here? Does that seem accurate? You guessed it. So, like, what is it? Well, like we've been saying, it's you're kind of rooting against this person. It's not necessarily that you strongly dislike them, right. but you're rooting against them. I think Joel with... Uh, tournaments that he's played well at or didn't play well at the post that he makes afterwards. Some people find it, you know, let's say cringy or whiny or anything like that. And when you kind of get a whiny sports player, it's very, very easy to root against that person. You know, another person that comes up into mind and when you see it on the poor scene of things, but, um, Eric Oakley for a while would have a couple outbursts here and there during tournaments, but then make an apology post after, but then next tournament comes by another outburst, another apology post, another outburst, another apology post. You kind of see those things. And so it's very easily turning into, well, now I just want to root against this person because they're, you know, annoying me or anything like that. So that's where I see, you know, one of the things like Joel Freeman's post after the Lake Marshall open was he played the lion's course three rounds, which is like a par 70 par 72 beautifully designed layout. You know, he said, I struggle sometimes on easy courses after getting smacked at that tournament. I, you know, I think um, Luke Sampson and Chris Dickerson, Luke going on to win the event. It was kind of just like, especially for a lot of people in Virginia, it was like, bro, no, that course isn't easy. And how do you say like you play bad at easy courses? That's just a cover up of you just had a bad tournament and you can have it's an excuse thing. We want to see these competitors as, you know, they're up on a pedestal. We don't want to see excuses. We just want to see you come out and play your absolute best. And that's a lot of thing when players come up. This happened. You know, even with Paul, sometimes a lot of people will take Paul's, you know, posts after tournaments as was that an excuse? Is this an excuse? It's definitely an excuse, something like that. And I think that's also where fandom goes out the window. Sometimes is when you find a pro player that maybe you did like start making excuses or someone that you already don't really care to root for. Now you just have all the more reason not to root for them. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I do. I kind of know Joel off the course a little bit. I've hung out, I've done mm -hmm. some things with him. So I do know him a little bit off the course, but my on the course experience, if I just keep it at that, because that's the perspective here of the people who are voting in most scenarios, I'm sure. Um, there's a little bit of uptightness to your point. It's the reactions to something happening of like, the, being frustrated is one thing, right? Mm -hmm. But to carry over this, like either it's somebody else's fault or something else's fault and not mine kind of feeling, it does create that. So not to pick on or belabor this, but just to kind of see like it, whether whatever it is for why people are doing this, this information is so valuable that when I read this, I thought to myself, this is a major like opportunity mm -hmm. because you're literally getting like a 3000 person poll to be like, I this is a player that I'm not rooting for. Like, wow. It's also, it's also a religion thing. A lot of players who have won this year that are religious people. Uh, I've seen a lot of comments afterwards be like, man, I loved that player's speech until they said they thanked God for that win. Hmm. Or like, thank God for giving the blessings in their hmm. life and stuff like that. I do think it's also as a more outspoken religious person, you are going to be scrutinized a little bit more from that. A little bit more from, it feels as though people are a little bit more outspoken when it comes to those kind of things. So it's a lot. The ones who say be less judging are judging the yes. most. <laughs> yeah, I've got. Um, Go ahead. A good stat for you here. Yeah. Um, speaking of Joel Freeman, we also have source data, so we can look at oh, all the different 
um, media companies. Sorry, can you read? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm just excited uh, where you're going with this. So we can look at all the different, where people found out about our survey. And then we can also look at all of their demographics and what they think about those players. So <laughs> fun fact, Nick and Matt show uh, listeners like Joel Freeman or actually dislike G- Joel on. Freeman less than every other media source. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. This so data is incredible. Yeah. The whole pool average. So everybody combined the 3,040 people gave th- uh, him a 3.55 out of that zero to 10 on average of 3.55 um, for Nick and Matt show. You guys gave him the, 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 the fans of Nick right. and Matt show a 4.31, which is 0. 0.76 higher than the average. So listen, the next okay. higher. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So go you ahead. guys have done something. Well, I just want to say. Dislike him less. I want to say, and I could be very wrong. I have done no research. Anybody in the chat, correct me if I'm wrong. We did an interview with Joel Freeman Mm -hmm. on the show two times, I think. I do not know that he has been on Smashbox or Foundation. I was going to say, we gave him an opportunity to speak. And when you hear (laughs) someone speak in person like that, I think it is. I think the listeners saw a different side. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Giving someone a platform. To maybe even defend, because I'm pretty sure on the show he was talking oh, about, you know, baby. he knows he knows he struggles with these things. And then you're kind of rooting for that. It's like, hey, I hope you get better. Like, so what you just okay, I I have to be like, maybe. I have to I have to take this and p- apply it to the show that we are running here. I just said how valuable this information is to the player. Man, if I take this as marketing data, I got to buy this off of you. If I take this as marketing data to the players we interview, sometimes we'll try to line up an interview, <laughs> and I hate to say it, but like. Sometimes they're like, eh, like it's not going to work. And I go, listen, people who listen to you on our show, we have the data to prove that those people, whether it's correlation or causation or whatever, like those people are more likely to see you positively when we interview you. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. What else were you going to say, Jesse? Uh, Well, you know, he's less popular with other, other forms, (laughs) but but that's a very good, good, good uh, point there is that, you know, we could, in theory, if you bring somebody on your show. And then we could look at their fan scores before and after right? in that same same year. And we could see what kind of impact it has on your fans in terms of how they feel about that player. Like wow. it, 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 that's, that's the thing. And by the way, it's all free. So we're okay. not charging anybody okay. for this data. Yeah. And, you know, if you guys, if Matt, if you want to meet, I will show you the back end. We can show you everything about your source data about, you know, all sorts of things. I, we, I'm, I'm happy to share this information with anybody. Like things uh, like, yeah, things like, um, who's the fan favorite amongst Nick and Mash, right? Like who ranked the highest? Is it Paul McBeth? We talk about him a fair amount. Like who is it? Right. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I can, I can tell you exactly who has the biggest outlier effect for Nick and Matt show. And like, <laughs> I almost want to say it's going to be someone like Ricky. Um, I, and, and I say that the reason being we've is because the lot. times that we've had Ricky on and we've had him on a lot of times, Ricky uh, has become such a fun interview and such an enjoyable Time to talk to. If anything, I think Gannon gets disliked more because or rooted against because of how bad his service is whenever we have him on the friggin' show. True. So true. That's oh Gannon. I'm gonna hang out with Gannon next week, actually. Yeah. Uh so you were looking it up, Jesse. Did you have Oh some- yeah, I can tell you. So Gannon, you guys have you guys give Gannon the biggest boost. So nice. it's a point four okay. boost above average for Gannon. So nice. how does that uh, taste, Nick? <laughs> just, all right. 
<laughs> you guys are in the red for Ricky, so it's a point zero seven. Point zero seven is basically you know even with you the did. yeah. So, yeah. You so, guessed so, it. Exactly I was just exactly opposite. opposite the two people. Holy That's so cow. funny. Wow, now, that you're is never interesting. Guess, <laughs> your biggest boost, you'll never guess it. Um, it's uh, Emerson Keith. Um, really? 0.97. So Sick. has Emerson been on the show? Does that prove? No. I, oh, I was going to say after It must one have been time, after OTB Open. One time I think he has. Yeah. But that's interesting. I do not know what that says about our fans. Hey, cool. Yeah. Well, that's, no, but don't make this, don't make this out to be that people – that your fans like Emerson Keith. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, just, yeah. They start rooting for him. Yeah, a, like... Oh, sorry, you know, I mean, like, don't even think like they're rooting for them. Your fans have given them on average a 5.37. So barely above neutral. It's mm-hmm. just every, but all the other fans of the other um, media uh, organizations, they're rooting against him. Um, uh, like, for know, instance, what if Terry Miller, which he obviously doesn't, but what if Terry Miller just hated on emerson keith every single episode like ah mm. this person lost yeah. on the final stroke like emerson keith would have done like of course that's <laughs> not really true but uh if terry did that every time the smashbox listeners might root against emerson keith more often because mm-hmm. they hear the negativity so, uh so not that have, all other podcasts hate on emerson are keith, you unmuted go ahead ben. no I'm, i just have a question i know it's outlined in the survey but do you think some people are voting like emerson keith for example he's not as popular as a disc golfer do you think some people are using the zero to four range as like, I don't really care about him, but I don't really know about him. So I'm going <sighs> to, rather than root against more, more as, as a, I don't really care for career about him at all. Cause I'm, I don't really know who he is I, or like I'm how, gonna, how he plays. Cause he's not that popular. So I'm going to give him like a, I'm going to let Jesse to answer four. that officially. But my takeaway when I looked at it was it was pretty obvious. If it's less than five, I actually am rooting against them at some level. Five is neutral, is how I read that. Is yeah. that is that what you think was happening, Jesse? He was asking. If I'm you just think saying, like hypothetically, were, yeah. some yeah, like Emerson Keith. I wouldn't. He's a person. The reason I'm saying is he's a person on a tour that I wouldn't think that people would be rooting against. I just think he's not as popular as a disc golfer, so that might be a reason why. Like for example, Nicola Castro makes sense, but him it doesn't make sense as sense to me because what is he hmm. won he won a event, but so, it's not like he's outspoken or anything. He's like. I've got an answer for you there. Thank you. Um, So uh, if we look at the source data, again, he's incredibly unpopular with Reddit. So he's got a minus 1.38. So why is that? Why is that important? On Reddit, there was a bunch of scandals involving Emerson Keith that came out on Reddit. And I didn't know about these because I don't follow Reddit that closely. But when I had posted something on the Discord, like uh, the Ulti World Discord, kind of asking about, you know, Emerson Keith, Everybody's like, oh yeah, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of controversies. I don't want to go into those because I don't really know the details. Oh, of them. see, I didn't but know. But those that. were discussed on Reddit and they weren't discussed necessarily on other media. It right. wasn't picked up by other media. So people who find out about us through Reddit, they may have been exposed to some of those controversies. That makes okay, that makes sense. Yeah, people are in the chat telling me now. That makes a lot more sense. Because at first I thought it was just like that's kind of random. I feel like he doesn't do yeah, anything. David but knows that more sense. than you, Ben, and it knows more than me too. I'm not calling you out specifically; just uh, it speaks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that is very. We're not going to keep everybody forever on that. But if you do find any cool other nuggets related, then those were really cool. But if you ever find any more, send them our way, or I'll take a look through it too. We have access There's to it. Yeah. Of them. Like it's it's it's. <laughs> 
frustrating yeah. how much data there is. And it's just, you know, I can't, I, I can't share everything. So you know, <laughs> I know the, the articles would be, you know, too long. So, wow. uh, you know, we try to, we're trying to pick these things out. What are, what are, what are the gems, but there's so much in there. Yeah, so, Je- are you looking for assistant writers, Jesse, or <laughs> help yeah, absolutely. If, if anybody wants to volunteer, especially if you're like a sociologist or you like do polling, if, you know, those kinds of skills would be really great to actually have professionals. Um, because I'm I'm very much an amateur learning as I go. Um, uh, I so we'd love expertise. Uh, we you know people who actually like to write. I don't really enjoy writing. Um, people who enjoy this, great, come on board. You know, so uh, you know we're, we're looking for people. So feel free to get in touch touch with us. My email address is on is, is in each article, so you can write to, write to me. Something else that stood out to me and before I got to that point in the article, I had already wrote my question down. Then it was answered for me uh, because you're really good at what you do. Um, Is the correlation to like a win and an increase in fandom and the fact that Matteo won somewhere in the middle point, let's say of this survey at MVP open. So people were voting and then he wins and then the voting was still open and you looked at those data points separately on either side and you noticed an increase of favoritism or band voting at a higher level, it makes sense. And before the show, Ben and I were talking, so to be at the top, you got to win and be likable. <laughs> like, so you got to be Simon Lazat. Like that's the, that is the criteria. And I think this is interesting talking point. If you are wanting to be in disc golf, you either have to be a superhuman like, and just win everything. And you can still be unliked for the most part. Like you don't have to have a great personality, but win everything. And people like winning. Uh, but if you can do both, then that's where you get the mega massive good contracts eventually. So that's the winning criteria. Um, so is that accurate? I mean, it seems like, did you find any other correlation to that? Like, it seems to me like the winners typically are at the top or you're extremely likable. I mean, I think, Winning is yes, very important, um, and especially for some. You have to take Matty O, who is kind of the you know always the bridesmaid, um, and that probably made people like. You know, I mean, Matty O's got a great personality, uh, and for most people, you know, some people, you know, it's not not their cup of tea. But for most of our fans, you know, they love Matty O. Um, but I think people kind of held back from giving him those tens because it's like, well, he can't win it, <laughs> and so you know that that might be. That, that was kind of holding it back. And then after he won, his, his fandom score went up by like 99% something mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for people voting after he won. And so he got that monkey off his back. And so we'll see if that carries on until next year. Um, you know, is that one win enough that people have kind of, you know, don't count that against him anymore? Mm-hmm. Or does it need to be sustained winning? But I think one thing that's really important is just visibility. If you're showing up on cards, that's going to keep you popular. And if you're not showing up on cards, then you're going to lose popularity. Like, you know, Paige, Paige's popularity went down a bunch this year. Paul's did. They weren't on many cards. Uh, Ricky missed a good chunk of the season. His popularity went down. But that also might be a changing of the guard phenomenon. Right. Where mm-hmm. We've got, you know, these, you know, the young guns and, you know, new fans and young fans may just want to see the old guys, you know, go away and make room for the, for the, for the, for the new exciting players. Yeah. And so there was two players that uh, specifically two. I could bring up three or four here, but Paul Uliberry not winning, at least on the elite series and Jeremy Colling, Right. And you see them 
and Ezra Aderhold. Now, I would bring Brody into this because he's not winning either, but he was already came in with a big social following. But they are something interesting between all of them. I think it's pretty pretty obvious. They're on media coverage and they're able to show their personality and be that likable person, whether they're winning or not. They are fun to watch and participate in through viewing. Mm -hmm. So I think that also goes to that point. To get at the very top, I don't think you're going to see, just frankly, like Paul Uliberry ever be at the very top of this fandom list. But he's going to be, he's pretty high for what it's worth. I think it's extremely high for not having the wins. So, you know, good job to him for that. But um, what else here? Oh, this just stood out to me. And I just want reactions from the, the room here or the group. Kevin Jones is in my mind higher on this list than I would have ever put him in this fandom survey. Isn't he like, is he, he's 7.1 was his average. And is he in the top 10 or top? Where is he? 11. 11. Okay. He's right about there. And he moved up six spots this year. Yes. And this is not a dislike for Kevin. And now maybe there's a funny correlation here, Jesse. We've never had Kevin Jones on the show. So maybe there's something about them moving up if they don't come on the show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but in all seriousness, just like, I don't know. He does have that coverage with the OTB skins. Maybe that's where you see him a lot. But Or GK Pro, sorry. I think it's personality, personally. But where do you see him so much? Well, I feel like we saw him a lot. Not as much this season, but season before, he was like coming in like, almost winning i think maybe it was last season or where he's almost winning one time he just like five putted well, he almost won jonesboro yeah, and then it was portland open but yeah, then this he, year he almost won uh lvc so i think it's his personality one and two i think uh i think people just loved him he was a huge fan favorite he wasn't as coverage as much this year but i think his personality was enough to hold him over for this year I think if it keeps going on, I think it will drop off, whereas he's not showing up. But he moved up this year. I think it'll drop back down is what I'm saying. Yeah, he moved up, but I'm like looking at like Wysocki is like two points below him, more or less, like close, like a f- like average right in the middle five, which is almost that neutral, like boring. We don't even think about you kind of thing. And I'm like, it just seems so I think I think that to goes me. to show you where or how much notoriety the GK Pro, GK Pro skins has. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. realistic. That's a good point. Because it is. So, There's a place so, for yeah. him to show his personality. Like people will say, that, you know, like yeah. Daniel saying in the chat, the banter, you know, is pretty popular with him and Luke. He's on a lot of the episodes. He's, yeah. you know, very, very good friends, if not best friends with Luke Humphreys. So you have the media guys exposure. Going, yeah, exactly. The media exposure aspect of it. Mm. Now, when it comes to playing on lead cards or anything like that, we did not see a lot of it this year compared to in years past. But, we um, should have did this survey right after Waco, Nick, just to see if you got a bump. You know, when you got on the lead card, people got to know you a little bit. That spotlight and Jomez. The spotlight was the only good thing about that coverage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think people hey, would have been like, how the hell did he get there? Without you, just seeing Carl minus one or whatever. Yeah. 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 We were it was, it was a tough chat. round. Obviously, you shoot we're better like, than yeah. Nick of the Nick and Mash show, baby. Yeah. I'd also say Kevin Jones is a very fun player to watch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say the grenade shots that he does, the super hyzer flip shots that he does. He is an enjoyable player to watch play the sport. And some people would say, you know, I was. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to bring any data of my own insight to this. It was more surprised because I don't feel like I saw him very much. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because this is a point. 
I didn't, I love GK pro and maybe that's the only place I saw him, but like, I didn't tie a lot to him as a storyline this year. That's just my perspective. And so that's great. He's maintaining, me, or in this case, he boosted. So. For me, I can't do the Facebook posts or the Instagram posts. <laughs> Would him, you have rated him, him five? Uh, probably below just because <laughs> of when I read those posts, I just cringe a little on the inside, but it just is what it is. Oh, there's my so own, much. My own opinion to there's that. There's so much for but, branding yeah. here. Um, I think he's a very fun player to watch, though. I will say that when I do get to see him play, um, you know, when he's putting from 36 feet and he's got that smooth jump putt, I think. You know, I almost feel like he's going to make that putt more than the 23 footer that he might have on the next hole or something like that. And so I do like watching absolutely. his style of play. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You obviously got to think that how often does his ace circulate on hole 16 circulate throughout the year? Oh, you know, consistently it comes thing, up yeah. to where it goes almost mini viral again. What's that? 2018, you said? No, 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 no I'm no, saying on hole 16. His oh my, ace on I hole 16. All of that. I'm I, sorry. Yeah, wow. sorry. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've been up since four, so I noticed I kind of mumble a little bit right now. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, I'm, try, I'm trying my best. But um, yeah, obviously, it's the same thing with James Conrad. His shot circulates how many times throughout the year from 2021 Worlds? And people see that, that was another like, oh player gosh. that I yes. saw higher up. And I was like, exactly. man, I'm like, it's it, let me let me be clear. People think I hate Calvin because I speak pretty frankly about like just my perception of things. And I'm like, no, I love Calvin. In fact, he's a friend of mine. And we joke when I see him in person, I'm like, you know, I hate you. But <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, Matt, you know, yeah. it's really offensive. But like you look at players like James Conrad again, great guy, friendly, awesome. I'm surprised to see him so high up the list. Kevin Joe's incredible personality, but I just didn't see a lot of them in coverage. So it's great to see. I'll put it this way. It's great to see that they have these fans that are there to support and root for them. That's really cool. In fact, that may be a better core than some of what these other players have, right? If you're not winning, but you're still pretty high up this list, man, you got the right fans. Mm -hmm. At least that's kind of my takeaway. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, we could go on and on. I don't think we will. I'm going to let Jesse kind of give any <laughs> closing remarks on this fandom survey. Like, are you going to, how do you choose to add new people? Are you gonna, do you remove people some days? You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, where do you plan and hope to maybe take this one day? Because there's a lot to process for this year, but like looking forward into the future. Uh, I mean, we'll, you know, every year we'll reassess which players to include and which players not to include. Uh, which is a difficult decision because you know it's it, there's lots of people who I regret not including last year and regret and regret not including this year and but you know there's only so much time we can take it takes about 20 minutes to fill out the survey um, and that's asking a lot of of, of, of of disc golfers and so if we add on more you know it becomes a half an hour survey how many people mm -hmm. are going to complete it you know it, it becomes less useful if, if people aren't actually complete it um, and in terms of where we're going to take it future I really don't know. You know, we're, we're, I think we'll just keep building on what we have. You know, this year's survey was had a lot more, a lot more interesting questions than last year. We learned a lot, and so we'll continue to learn from what we're doing. I can tell you that the articles that will be have coming up, uh, you know, over the off season, there's going to be one just on manufacturers. There's going to be one on discs, um, and uh, there's all sorts of interesting things in, in the discs article. Um, then we're going to have one on media and commentators. We're going to have one on favorite courses. Um, and, uh, then we're all of one with just some random, you know, the gems that we didn't put into anything else, uh, other interesting things that we can, we can put in that article. And then there might be something else. We'll see, you know, mm -hmm. if other articles we, we were inspired to do other things. 
I think the articles are very interesting. Just talking about this out loud, and a lot of the chat is saying the same thing, is that all of this is super, super interesting information, and the way you guys compile it all together is I'm excited to go back and read the article. I wish I could have read it today, but that'll be for another time. But anywho. Absolutely. I just wanted to give it a moment of silence there and let it breathe because someone in the chat says, I don't let anybody else talk. And I'm like, if I sit here quietly, everyone else sits quietly. It's just the nature of the show. It's my role on the show. It's my role on the show. And it just, this is my point earlier. The person who talks the most gets picked on the most. That's just how it is. And I've owned it. Um, so let's see here. Uh, I think we're going to let this go and ride. And I think, cause I want people to go check it out and see more and look forward to the articles that are, or the more storylines and stuff that come out of this. Um, a lot of interesting things and you can go find it yourself, go check it out and see and, and see what you can come up with there. I would be interested to take a look at some of this as well. You, you provided a lot of good information to us, Jesse. I'm really intrigued by some of it. I'm going to dig into it more. I'm looking forward to the next ones that come out. Um, anything else you want to say before you go? Uh, how I would say how they can follow you and all that, but is it just best to support by checking out the articles on Ulti World? Yeah, just go to Ulti World Disc Golf. Um, not Ulti World, because that's going to be Ultimate Frisbee coverage. Make sure you Google Ulti World Disc Golf to get on that side of the website. Um, uh, and uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You oh, know, yeah. I appreciate the exposure for the survey when we were collecting data. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it now, now that we're getting the word out about the survey uh, data, uh, so that, uh, you know, that's why we do this, is so that we can share this informa information with everybody in the community. Mm -hmm. Totally appreciate it, man. Thanks for, for the manufacturing one. Like <laughs> the manufacturers. A there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. That I, it's gonna but be that, I think that one's going to be very interesting because you'll look at it as, you know, these manufacturers pay their players or these manufacturers come out with the best discs. And it's going to be a really, really cool, I think, variety of answers that go along with that. So I'm excited for that one absolutely all right man thanks for sticking with us through that slow yeah. startup that is unfortunately became regular in the last few episodes we're gonna do an off-season thing here where we i might be building a computer i don't know but this one's lasted us a good guys jesse you can stick around for this if you want i only spent this is fun fact on my computer that's lasted us now close to four years or three Coming up and a half four, four years yeah because i got it prior to that so four years Four years ago, I got this computer that does everything that I've ever needed after effects and editing and 3D imaging, all this, like we have multiple cameras streaming in and out. Like I spent $800 on this thing. Really? For, yes. No kidding. Like if I tried to buy this even today, it would be well over that. It'd be like 1500 yeah. I built mine for 2000 bucks. <laughs> So it's been oh, a man. wonderful thing, but that, that leads pricey. us in. Mine was like I think five fifty. I realized drink the barrel. I, I built I built a massive gaming computer. Yeah, this is Ooh. a yeah. This yeah, is I a built power horse. Gaming computer too. Just did it cheaply, I guess. I didn't uh, build this one. I bought it, but but the point is, it's a fantastic. It's been fantastic. I don't. I, just not sure. I blame it on Windows somewhat here, but. <laughs> all right yeah, let's go to linux let's go <laughs> i'm down we'll figure it out all right we're gonna let you go jesse uh thanks for sticking through with us and we appreciate all the information you provided man thanks all right it. peace out all right i mean shout out to jesse i think in the last two years he's been the longest guest that we've had on from pretty much start to finish an episode we're, we need that yeah we've yeah. normally been 20 well, to 30 minutes per people what? We've been running it lately. We had Casey White for pretty much the whole show. Hey, Simon, this is the off season. That's in yeah. person. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Here for almost the whole show. It's the off season. 
And then Jesse yeah. hopping in for <laughs> almost the whole show. Yeah. What if you what if you were like Jesse, like, tell us about your survey, cool thanks. Like, man, we would not no. have gotten the yeah. Nick and Matt show exclusive. Yeah. I actually find that interesting. I'm gonna go sleep on that one. Yeah. All right. Being able to go in depth with all of it makes it just that much more intriguing, I think, for the surveys that are also coming up <clears throat> in the future. I would be interested in a survey to the Nick and Matt show listeners. And if we could get 5,000 results or whatever, that'd be great because here's what I'd like to know. Do you think like, what's Matt's opinion of Calvin Heinberg? Like, like actual, right. It'd be interesting to get that gauge. Like, do we actually like Natalie Ryan? Like, yes or no, zero to 10. Like, just to get, we can keep it private or public. Like, what is the perception that we give like off? Judge that disc golfer. Yes, but we find out judge like. The Nick and Matt show. Judge the Nick and yeah. Matt show. Kevin can beat Ben in a round of disc golf. Yes. <laughs> people Go to Cogs. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see Ben, but he's smiling over there. All Fugan. right. He's Meanwhile, he wants to just play Meadowbrook all day, and uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I'll play Ben no, there. I can play, I can play I got Cogs now. I'm a lot better. Let's I got to shout out Westy Acres. I've been back for a little while. Don't get me wrong. I've been working ridiculous hours, and weekends have been hella busy. I do plan on getting out there before year's end, so I will get out to Westy Acres. I'm also really excited, and this is a shameless plug to Simon Lazar. This isn't a paid advertisement at all, but his latest <laughs> video of the course that was in... Boylston Hillside Hillside Disc Golf Park or Disc Golf Course Hillside mm-hmm. yeah, whatever Hillside Disc Golf Dude looked awesome him and Paul Cranch shredded it I think the pars are a little soft on a couple of the holes don't get me wrong but that's just it is what it is but man that course like looked coverage? awesome I thought it looked awesome in his video That's cool cuz oh I played it early on and I'm I, if you saw my review, I, I wasn't the no, biggest fan. I, yeah, yeah, so I made sure to screenshot Fortunately, I haven't, for, I know, haven't seen or really future. heard much about it until I watched that video. I've heard little things about it, so but I actually thought but, it was really fun. Hey, shout out to them. I, the, I'm, I, I, I knew a lot of work went in before yeah. I, I played it, and so I'll, I'm happy to see even yeah. more work went in. Uh, it, it wasn't my type when I played it, but maybe it, it got better. Maybe it's the type for a lot it's of better. other people. It's better. I think it was, it was it needed tee pads. I changed my review too. I just said it needed D pads, and I changed it to. It has uh, T pads. I, I think that's kind of in my opinion. That's very self-explanatory. A lot more than T pads. <laughs> yeah. It had some very bad holes. So and that's a very confusing it's fun though. Hole. That's it's just fun. It was that's, a very advanced level can, course too, which you know my opinions. It, it just, is not advanced. So they hit me up after your review, Evan. I think somewhere around there. And they said, hey, can you come out and provide some feedback? We'd love to have, you know, and I'm not a course designer, but I've been playing disc golf for a while. It doesn't matter my skill level. It matters what I understand about disc golf. And I walked every single hole and tried to provide as much positive feedback as I could. And I'm happy to see and do not hear this as me saying I said it, it happened because I think there was a lot. Simon walked it prior to this as well. They, they did a good job at getting feedback is my point. But I did see a lot of the changes. Um, that were made to make this course better now. And I think we're just going to see, give it another year. It's going to be like really good. It's, it's playable now and uh, probably fun. That's uh, awesome to hear. I used to live less than minutes away or about mm-hmm. that. So I would have been even more stoked, but now I'm like an hour and a half. So less stoked, but Westy acres <laughs> is an part. So Nick, if you do get out there, 
Let's try. Evan, yes. what do you think the word is that Westy Acres used to describe your reviews? The adjective they use to describe uh, your reviews. Westy is my biggest supporter, so I can't think of enough. Uh, spot on, maybe? I, no, no, he no, said no. Evan's <laughs> blank reviews. Like you, when you Honest? review other courses. No. <laughs> he says oh. eviscerating. Harsh? Eviscerating. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm going to be blunt there. It just means like you're like uh, destroying it. Like you're eviscerating uh, it. You're cutting okay, it to see, pieces. I don't like that because oh, I know they can it's be all harsh, good fun. But uh, with my reviews, I I want the course he to get better. He said also honest. Okay. I It's honest. I, I want all courses to get better. And so I tried like too many people when they rate a course, they're just like, oh, it was fun. Yeah. Five stars. And I'm like... Uh, <laughs> Like it was disc golf. Yes, disc golf. Fun. Just, but like it could be more fun. And I want you to know why. I just read and I just read tough. the definition of eviscerate. And it says disembowel a person or an animal. <laughs> yeah, speaking of obliterating, Evan said to Hillside, the course will obliterate your average player, even with additional clearing. There you go. Uh, that's funny i should have i should have said eviscerate yeah <laughs> so there you go um all right let's move into the closeout here we were late on our start but we don't want to give everybody a short short show we're we're we're, we're doing okay ali smith announces departure from dga um the way that i saw it was she said hey great experience i'm moving on from dga that's not a quote and then I don't know, I saw it the next day or two. Again, it may have played out together. I didn't look at the timestamps. DGA said mutually, like, we watched her. It was kind of interesting. Like, it was like a breakup letter almost. But like, we watched her go from AM Worlds to, you know, touring. And we wish nothing but the best for her. So they're splitting ways. will be interesting to see where she goes. My take is that a lot of these players now are looking for money. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean, like you get a sponsorship and a lot of times it's discs or again, I don't know what her deal was, but then these players are like, I'm actually doing this now and you're not able to come through with what I need or I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So I got to go somewhere else. And they're like, I understand that. Like, it's probably one of these things where like, we can't give you the more money. And so you need it. We understand no, mm -hmm. no harm, no foul, no hurt feelings. That's my guess. Um, even players looking to join the tour today are like, I know what I'm worth now. And players hitting up tour are starting to ask for cash money as well. I, I think it's just the, it's what it is nowadays. It is very hey, expensive. Know to your tour. Worth. Exactly. Know your worth, but also know what you're getting into. Realistically. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think that's just one of the biggest things is know what you're getting into. And I, I'll, I'll say this from a personal experience standpoint is that, you know, I was never a great, great, great touring player. I was going to events to hopefully make, somewhere in the cash range but more often than not if you look at my record i didn't cash at them that's from not being suited to play these bigger courses my skill set wasn't always there consistently you know i could pop off a pretty good round here and there worlds in 2021 was great for me but even still i made 645 dollars at worlds for getting 41st place or 43rd place and uh that didn't even cover my plane ticket to utah now if i'm going from virginia I'm sorry. That was no, you're mean. Right. So, um, did you say should have played better? <laughs> yes. Oh, no, yeah. Agreed. I 100 percent think that. Oh, I, thought, I thought you played great. You catch the no, world. Thank awesome. you. Yeah. I, you know, I met most of my goals that weekend. But even if I was to drive from Virginia to Utah, I don't know exactly how many hours is that is. But I'm assuming it's over 20 hours. That's 
you know, over a thousand miles more than likely. That's, you know, multiple tanks of gas to there and back wear and tear in the vehicle. It, you know, players have actually started coming out. Brody did this a little bit. I think Isaac Robinson chimed in a little bit where they were talking about how much money it is to tour. Now, fortunately for 2021 worlds, Paul and Hannah, let me stay with them at an Airbnb. It was a beautiful Airbnb. Um, had I had to pay for that as well, or even pitch in for that, it would have been a $1,500 trip at, at, I would say at minimum, I had to rent a car when I got Dude, out there. Like Shwebby, all these things. Shwebby in the chat yeah. just said, easy drive. Shwebby drives everywhere. It's awesome. Like Shwebby, I said earlier, I woke up at 4 a.m. and, you know, been working all day. Shwebby was like, yeah, same thing, you know, driving back from Florida now. So, I mean, shout out to Shwebby. He's one of my all-time favorite people that I met, you know, down south. I love playing disc golf with him. Fortunately, got to play a bunch the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, like he he's a man. He drove out to Arizona this year. And, like, I just drove the RV from – I'll take this, actually. Here we go. I drove Paul's RV from Massachusetts to Michigan. And that was – a about a 13 hour trip and it cost me well, you're driving an rv let's yeah and no, no but i'm saying for, player, for players for players who are driving yeah. in a small size rv now granted no one's really driving i think the same size as paul but there are players who are driving a truck and trailer sprinter vans you know they're not getting great gas mileage i don't know exactly what they're getting but they're not getting great gas mileage but like for me to drive from massachusetts to michigan about a 13 hour drive was over i think 500 bucks in fuel over over 450 bucks in fuel and that was just one way let's say i was playing reimburse you yeah no i mean they are i'm just joking yeah i was gonna say (laughs) i ain't ain't doing that for free (laughs) get the heck out of here (laughs) i worked my butt off for 650 bucks man come on what are you gonna get like a four claw buzz or something (laughs) hopefully four of them i'm taking that writing a check and sending it back to me um that's awesome but uh not realistic like just for any players driving anywhere like my car fortunately i drove from virginia to kansas this year I, i actually the year that i got lead card at waco so 2022 i drove from virginia to texas and that was a 21 hour trip there and then a 21 hour trip back so I mean, I don't remember exactly how much I spent in gas. I know that the trip there, I did pretty much straight through and all I ate was beef jerky the whole time because I just wanted to get to Waco. I left later than I wanted to, but um, it's expensive. Uh, A lot of players nowadays, they're all selling their vans. They're getting smaller cars and they're doing Airbnbs with friends, but Airbnb prices are skyrocketing. Tournament entries are skyrocketing. Not everyone's sponsorship pays for their tournament entries tour card prices i don't even know exactly what that number is but i'm assuming in the multiple thousands of dollars to get a tour card to play out on the tour now um fly to europe good luck with that you're probably spending 800 to 2000 dollars depending on when you get in there so yeah for a lot of players who are switching companies and looking for which company is going to give them money i think you are going to see a lot of players switch solely for the reason of money and i mean i don't think that's the worst thing in the world but it's just it's it's a hard life and for players who are good at it and can actually make that life work kudos to them i think it's awesome and i think a lot of people would just dream to be in those shoes but for someone like you gotta realize one you gotta kind of just have that gift to where you can go out and do this and then two you gotta work your butt off harder than you work at potentially your day job right now but like you gotta go on the road with a savings account and you're also sacrificing a lot of things to go along with that. It's an interesting lifestyle for sure. I call it a lifestyle yeah. right now uh, for most of the players. It's a very interesting job. It's a very poor job choice for some people, and it's a great job choice for other people. 
And I think that's just realistic. If you're likable and yeah. you win, it's a good job. If you're likable and you win, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> a lot of players do make other sources of revenue and stuff like that. And some people like, you know, over the last few years as the pandemic hit, um, a lot of people started working from home. I know a couple of disc golfers who are able to work after the round. You know, if they're an FBO player, they play their tournament round and then they go work for, mm. you know, five, six hours after that. Or for MPO players, they work in the morning, then they get ready for the round. I mean, some people can make it work. I have never had the luxury of working an at-home job. I pretty much, I work in construction. So, you know, my job is when I'm doing it, I wake up, I go to my job, I go home. I pretty much punch in a ticket and I punch it out and I love it. I love my job. I take vacation time when I want to go out to big events. And this was years ago, like 2019, 2020, before I had moved down South for a little bit. Um, it was, Hey, what vacation do I want to use to go out and play this tournament or go watch this one? So it's just, it is, it's a crazy lifestyle. Also, the Celtics right now pissing me off. They're in <laughs> overtime against the Hornets. What are we doing? We're 11 and 2. I, you know, what's really funny is I've never had good luck betting. Um, there's only been a few times in my life where I made a bet, like at a roulette table. I put $200 on black the first 30 minutes of me being in Vegas, ended up hitting it. Um, but other than that, I've never won like any of my good parlays or anything like that. And I'm not advocating for sports betting. Please do not get into it. Um, I literally tonight almost put a hundred dollars on Jason Tatum scoring 40 points tonight. And by the first half, he had 31. He's, I think he's got like 42 or 44 points right now. I almost put a hundred bucks on it. What is the lesson you learned, Nick? That I should have put a hundred bucks on it. <laughs> Do not follow your gut. But it's just one of the things where I'm like, damn, you know? <laughs> And then one of, I told one of my buddies, I was like, oh, because we always talk about our sports bets. And he's like, dude, please do not start betting hundreds of dollars. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. For me, like $2.50, like $2.50 yeah. is like, well, ooh, yeah. I'm, I'm going big here. I'm really <laughs> confident. I had, I, I had make $10. Yeah, I have $100 in my FanDuel account. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put it on Jason Tatum right now. And I wish I freaking did it. I don't even know how much I would have won. But $2. All right. Yeah, we've man, we've almost made it to our two-hour mark. I will keep this conversation, and we have to, because this is not going to turn into a debate. It got brought up, the topics, uh, if you follow Simon Lazat's channels, which apparently most people do, mm -hmm. and he posts on social media, a lot of interesting questions. After he left our show, he talked a little bit on our show last week. Go check it out if you haven't heard it yet. Simon talks about like what he had heard about uh, course design. He was at a conference with John Houck and the conference that was put together. It was held at Maple Hill. And then he went the next morning or that evening and started creating lots of social media questions for his followers, uh, some of which were really interesting. Like, do we care about this or that or pars or how hard a hole is? Da, 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 all, this, all these questions. But then one that I saw on repeat a few times, then Ken Climo and the DGN special that was uh, released last week or this week, whatever the week is. Um, the idea that putting needs to be, and I'm going to use the word harder, but that may not be the right word that they're asking for, but they're trying to look for this opportunity to create more excitement as well as scoring in the way that that works. Again, not getting into super deep because we've talked about this a lot, how to make putting harder. Do you, do any of you guys just have a simple, like not why, not the whole strategy behind it. I'll give you my two takes on it is move circle one back to circle two. Just try it as a, as a trial, like standstills unless and this is for elite. I'm not talking like I'm saying four different tier events. You have a different 
just like uh, you do for college football to NFL or anything else. It changes the rules. We have elite players that we're saying you can step when you're 33 feet away. Like that just, let's push it back. That's one of my takes. The other is I the possibility. You don't agree with I'm, it. No. In between. Okay. You have, yeah, I know Nick loves jumping though, but the point is if, if Simon and, and Ken and all these people are feeling this way, we need to do something. And I think I've talked about different shaped greens, just like ball golf has. We don't have to keep it a circle. Let's push people to certain parts of it and say, if you're in this part, you can jump from 10. But if you're in this part, it's further back. Like make it different. People are going to hate that, but that's fine. I'm just giving you my ideas. I know. The, the other would be to potentially make the basket different. I'm not going to get into the details of the exact part here, but make it a little bit different so that it is a little bit harder. Um, and that's kind of my takes on this. I, I, but I think this would only be for elite. That's my take. It would only be for elite. They need to do a trial event, and I would love to see how it goes. I'm not saying let's just implement it. See, I don't like having different rules for some pro tournaments and not other pro tournaments. Like you're talking about college football versus professional football. That's two different leagues. You have college players who are doing the same thing for potentially four years. Of the elite series life. is different than an A tier. Absolutely. Like but it's, it's different. But it's professional disc golf. It's labeled as professional disc yeah, golf. Yeah, but, but you I get, can play in the professional get, division. And am I a professional? Exactly. Well, I'm just saying, but you have <laughs> like, elite. You I can't have, play on the elite. You have elite level point. players who are also playing C tiers. Nick, I get your point. I'm going to throw one example here is hockey. When you play in the NHL, you have a certain size rink, but then you go to the. Um, uh, Olympics, they play in an international size rank, if I'm not mistaken. It's a different size. Ugh. I'm also like baseball. We're also talking once every different. four years then. And then, and then also soccer uh, field sizes are different. They play on different types of grass, like turf. Like, I think there's the a World lot Cup? of variability. Yeah, they play on, they play at, well, the World Cup, they try to go for the same size, but like New York City yeah. FC plays in a baseball stadium. Their field's tiny, so it plays a totally different, it's a more physical game, a lot of just poking it into the okay. box and hoping to get a score, a lot less wide play because you don't have as much. Uh, and I don't know where else it shows up. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm just saying it happens. I'm not saying your point is wrong. Yeah. Like, you could, I see what you're saying. It was good to say college to NFL is different, like, it, it's a different uh, type of difference. Yeah, uh, I, I want you to continue on. I just wanted to say that one part. No, yeah, I, I definitely don't think like I don't love the idea of making at an elite series event, making the circle 45 feet versus then you go and play an A tier the weekend after. And now you're back to putting from 33 feet. I don't I don't love that idea. But then also we're talking about, you know, like Matt had just said, if Simon's saying it and Ken Climo was saying it, maybe we should make some changes. If I'm a really bad shooter in the NBA, I think that we should make the basket bigger. Because I want to be able to hit more shots. Just because some people are saying it doesn't mean that the majority is of people Simon are saying missing it most it. of his shots. Is no, I'm not Klimo saying Simon's missing that? most of his shots, but I'm giving you an example of like you can take 10, 20, 30 people, but then you have 70, 80, 90 people on the other side saying no, that I don't think we should do that. I, I don't think, know who those other I think, people are, though. I think He's if the you make baskets smaller up. in the sport, mm -hmm. I think you kind of kill a lot of the game. I think you, I, putting is fun to watch in disc golf. Because we have highlight putters. We have long putts going in from 60, 70, 80 feet. Paul McBeth at 2018 Maple Hill Open or MVP Open makes it on hole 13, the downhill 120 footer that almost has a full flight to it. You make the basket smaller. I think you kill the excitement that happens around the putting green. Now, don't get me wrong. I think every single pro in the world should make their 15 to 20 footers, but that's disc golf. We are easier than golf, and there's no shame in that whatsoever. We are an easier sport. 
and I'll just say this, and this is no slight against the FPO side. Have you talked to Simon about why he might think this? Or like, I haven't talked to him about everything with it, but we've no, talked about curious. course design. We've talked about course design because mm-hmm. um, we you know, spent a couple of days together this past weekend. But take the FPO side. They're and to be fair, I don't think he put out his opinion on this. He didn't say, yeah. I, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to paint yeah. this as Simon's crying for better or smaller baskets. Ken Climo did. Uh, he said maybe we should consider the I path. think that's also Ken Climo being bitter but, about the generational aspect of things. Mm-hmm. But that's just you have an all-time great looking at the sport how it is nowadays. And you're like, oh, back in my day. Anyone can say that. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, we used to shoot with electric caps for dynamite. Now we shoot with non-electric caps. Like, So do you think we've arrived with baskets then? Like we finally have no, arrived. I think, you can, I think you can tweak baskets, but I don't to think do that what? they should. Huh? To do what? Catch better? I would say catch better and not as much flukiness. I'm not saying make it easier to where they're going to catch everything. Like I think the easiest basket in the sport to put on is a mock X for me personally, not saying everyone is going to have that same luck, but for me personally, I like putting on mock X's. I feel like I can't miss a putt when I'm putting on those because I feel like they catch very well for my putting style. Now, I don't think that the mock X is the perfect basket, but I also think that we're not going to ever see a perfect basket. I think Calvin actually on tour life said that that basket was too easy. I, it, you could very well think that it's too <laughs> so easy. So it's like yeah. this weird, like, That's how do you determine You could think yeah. that that one is yeah. almost too easy, but I think if you shrink the basket cage, you see this at European Open, actually. The baskets that they put on have a much smaller cage than the general one that players play on during the Elite Series. Mm-hmm. Greg Barsby, someone who's a very nose-down putter, has had putts go in the cage, and zing hit, out, yeah. and zing right out. Yep. I think that's a fluky flaw in the basket. I don't like seeing those kind of things. But at the same time, okay, now you can have the argument, oh, you should change your putting Evan, style. I was going to say, I was looking at Evan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's the thing, though. I, I want to kind of focus on the Disc Golf Pro Tour is an entertainment product. It's not, hey, who can have the most beautiful type of disc golf? It's no, like, what can be the most fun disc golf to watch? What can get more fans into watch disc golf, play disc golf, mm-hmm. watch be around disc golf? And aces, big shots, big putts, that's like, those are so that's much fun. Exciting. About like, I, I don't think getting on top 10 is that big of a deal. I don't think getting on sports center is that big of a deal, but it, it was for DOS at Memorial and it still is for a lot of people. How do you get on sports center? Is it the sickest shot that is this awesome turnover line through the woods that then parks the basket? Or is it the 400 foot ace that just I just thought of it, Evan, based, based off what you just said? It's catching. It's you want it to catch at high speeds. And I would love putting to get harder for scoring separation. I would love it. I would love to have smaller baskets for the pro level because it would have better scoring separation. It would make putting difficult. Having a marksman would be interesting. I want to see it tested. But to me, it says you get rid of those highlight putts. You get rid of the crazy excitement. You get more layups. And the last thing I want to say is... Uh, oh, actually, I, the last thing I want to say on baskets, I want to get to uh, green sizes too. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I'll say on baskets is if you bring in a smaller basket on tour and you say it's pro only, that is false. Courses will want to follow what the pros are doing. They want to be like the pros. And so they're going to have smaller baskets as well. And that will annoy me greatly. Uh, and that's, hey, me as a putter, which either Nick or Matt, one of you guys said earlier. So I, I want to see... I want to see courses or the equipment we use uh, be in a way that courses want to use it. And I don't want, I don't want to see a smaller basket because courses will then want to use that smaller basket to be like the pros. Oh, we have a championship level course where you're a a small town that doesn't really host many tournaments. Uh, They want to be like that. And I think that's bad. Yeah. So 
it's kind of a funny thought I had, and it's probably not correlated at all. But in golf, they have a flag defining where the pin is, and you're able to pull that out, right? Mm-hmm. Are you you're, Not that you could walk all the way down there and pull it out when you drive, but are, would you be allowed to pull that out on a drive? That I could not give you a straight up answer. <clears throat> I don't that. know either. Someone yeah. maybe in the chat. I, I learned some interesting things yeah. about PGA golf this last week, including match play and everything else. It was an interesting topic. If somebody knows that I'm interested, because in my mind... To, to fix kind of what Evan's talking about, it would be interesting. This is crazy out of the box. Laugh it off, whatever you want to do. If you're inside the circle, the, the outer chains get pulled off. Like it's like a little removal thing. Somebody does it, an official that's there. Let's make putting harder inside the circle. Like keep the aces <laughs> off the tee pad. Like the basket's full size catches. It catches the big putts that you're just talking about. But like, let's make it harder and more exciting to watch. I think it's more exciting. Hold on. I think it's more exciting to think that somebody from 20 feet is super nervous and they might miss that putt because it's a hard putt to make than it is like, but keep what you're saying. Keep outside the circle. Keep it easier. So they go for the big putts, but make it hard once they get close. Cause like it's too easy. All you're going to see is layups. From inside the circle? Look at the FBO division sometimes. Literally inside the circle, they're yeah. going to lay out. Yeah. No. 100%. 100%. You're going to get people that run. You're not you make, telling me that. You make, you make, you make putting Go to bullseye. Oh, okay. Now you're talking about two of the best putters in FBO. Take Henna and Evelina. Take, take Henna and Evelina. And now, but you just said it's an entertainment thing. Is that entertaining to you? Yes. Inside the circle, if you had a bullseye basket. Watching everyone lay up. There's well, two different things. There's the scoring separation part, which, yes, you want it harder. And then there's the entertainment one where you say, no, you want it easier. You want more to catch. I don't think you need to make it easier. I think you almost keep it sure. the way that it is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, can, you, can, you can perfect. Like we, we obviously know that <laughs> Innova disc catchers are better than DD veterans baskets. Right. Okay. One thing to I do. I actually like veterans, but I do like disc catchers more. Yeah. So don't use veterans as much or if at all pros have come out and say like, we had Jeremy Colling on, had a great interview with him. And he talked about how he actually spoke to Jeremy Rusco about, hey, these baskets are an issue. Let's figure <laughs> yeah. this out. And Jeremy was very receptive of it and like wants to figure that out because that's his brand that he's putting on those baskets that Absolutely. players are, you know, players are using. So I'm not saying we need to completely kill those baskets. Come out with better designs. The Pro Tour should have a universal basket, one that goes into the ground when they get to the event comes out of the ground when they leave the event and the pros or excuse me, the course should go back to the way it is, whatever baskets they have on it. The pros themselves for the disc golf pro tour should have a universal basket that travels with them. Lots sure. of different ways that you could do that. Lots of different ways you could advertise on every single basket. There are ways to do it though. Now you have to carry around 26 extra baskets for per tournament, which is a whole trailer load pretty much. Don't get me wrong. I know that's a pain in the butt as it is, but if you make putting that much harder in disc golf. Yeah. When people do hit that big shot or when that ACE does go in, it's awesome. But at the same time, you're going to kill so much of the entertainment around the green. And it's just going to be, I just feel like I disagree with the layups inside the circle. That's all I, 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 it's a, it was kind of a joke to say it, but I don't think I would see layups. And if you do that player probably should not be on the pro tour. That'd be my take on that. I want to say real quick about extending the circle. I'm I, I'm all for it because I think just in a general disc golf should be more standstills, less following through. I am for it in that sense. I'm I'm good to move it. But what I want to say is I don't think moving the circle or extending it out, whether it's pro only or for all divisions, will actually make putting easier. 
sorry, harder, excuse me, at the pro level. Paul McBeth, Nick, if Paul McBeth's mm-hmm. putting an 80 footer, is he jump putt? Like, sorry, mm-hmm. he jump. depends on the is scenario. He, he so often will just look absolutely normal. And he might engage his legs more. He might change things up in the. Well, he's a, the most well-rounded player I think ever, ever. That's my. He he will stand still at from eighty feet in my mind. But he's a like different breed. Feet. Like he deserves to have it easier from that distance. I'm saying majority of the players though. And so I think players will get to that level, and you'll see no difference. And I would love to see it pushed that way. I just I don't like the idea of hey we need like when the conversation comes up, hey let's make putting. And then people immediately say, okay, move the circle to 20 meters. I'm like, okay, sure. That's step one that does nothing. Like it, we need to do so much more to actually get to that goal of make putting harder. Right. It, you oh, get where I'm going? Yes, I do. Do you, you saying that just so you can talk, Ben? Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's why you can keep going. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying I, I would love to see you move back. I just don't think that'll actually make putting easier. I think it'll be a minuscule difference at the pro level. And it'll be a terrorizing for AM level. <laughs> I think we should actually make the circle smaller for like MA3 and below. Well, no, let the, let the MA, this is my point. I would, and I know you guys I didn't love the like difference. Seven meter circle for I know you guys like didn't love changing up, changing up things junior. based off of divisions and all that. But I think, why not? Yeah, why not say if you're a junior, I, like let's Nick. move it closer. Like if you're a pro, let's move it yeah. further. Like your circle sizes are different. Like that's the same way you would probably have courts with juniors. I don't know. I'm making this stuff up now. The size of hockey nets, all or goals, or soccer. I mean, yeah, the tee pads change for the most part. Yeah, different divisions. Oh, different distances. Oh, yeah, right. So yeah. let's do it for the greens. Yeah, no, I, no. yeah I think that's a great point. <laughs> the only way but, that I, the only way that I agree with that is age protected. That's what I'm when saying. When it comes to young I, kids, that's the I'm only actually only point. yeah. Where I think the lowest level offered, which is, um, you know, MAFA four, you can do it for juniors too. I think you should be able to step putt from every single distance. Like maybe, maybe, mm. maybe three, two meters mm. is the, the circle. Because I like, I play with, I have friends that I play with who will just follow through a putt from like 10 feet. It's just how they do it. It's like, they don't know the rules. It's just how them them playing. I have no problem with it because it's like, it's just the level it is. Now, if mm-hmm. I'm playing a tournament, I'll call someone on a, a footfall there. Like, yeah, it is at the level I play at, which isn't high, but it's high enough to call that. But I think at the uh, entry level at tournaments, it, it, like, why is that a thing? Matt, you have kids. Like if you have a six-year-old playing his first tournament, like he might follow through from, 10 feet and that's like that shouldn't be a penalty for that level player but it should be a penalty for paul Macbeth. like not that he does it but it should be there's a lot that could be discussed here there. let's give well, intern ben sorry, a yeah, chance. i was just gonna say one thing i think the most obvious thing to fix to make putting harder ban practice putting that's all it's just like it just all pros ban them from practicing their putt and they, it'll be harder for them that's all i gotta say about that <laughs> okay that was interesting good take good take thank you um yeah so i doubt this i mean i don't want to say i doubt it will happen at some point something like this may come up um and i know that and i already alluded to this last week like and simon was looking at me saying he heard the same thing there's stuff coming down the pipe most likely for this elite series events that's going to change competition rules and we're just gonna have to wait and see if it happens. Like, are we gonna talk about the OB one, or do we not want to hash it? We would have to have on the person who I think, because I don't know the All details right. of it All fully. Right. 
There's going to be interesting rules that are going to come out, I think. Um, and I'm hearing rumors that are trash. Well, I'm not calling them trash. Absolute trash. <laughs> this would. I, I haven't heard right, of yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pester you after this if you're yeah, not gonna we'll say it. We'll talk. If it Get comes ready to out, sign up for our Patreon because I'm about to go off on these guys <laughs> in our after after show meeting. All right, here we go. So in uh, conclusion, here this week is Thanksgiving for those of you, especially here in United States. Uh, I think the most of the world celebrates this, and I know we have a worldwide audience, but specifically we do it here for different reasons, but. It doesn't have to be that for everybody. Um, so I'm thankful for you guys. This is conclusion of just about a conclusion. We're not totally there. We'll talk about it. December is going to be very sparse with shows. Next week we'll have a show. Um, but I'm really, really, really grateful for the crew here. Uh, the fun that we can have debating hardcore and then maintaining our friendships is always great. Maintaining uh, our friendships. Yeah, wink, wink, and Nick. Four years of debating disc golf, and we're four still years buddies. of debating disc golf, and <laughs> twenty-four years of knowing each other. So that's right. Yeah. I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative of all the listeners yeah. and um, those who join us live. We understand this is something that you do and look forward. Well, we think you look forward to on Monday nights, and we're sorry we delayed you tonight, uh, but we're really grateful for that as well. Um, we look forward to the things that we're going to implement in the coming year. Be excited! I think we got some things that maybe you guys can benefit from maybe yeah maybe and uh yeah so that's what i say anybody else have any closing thoughts on this we don't got to go around the room but yeah let's say, everyone let's here. say what they're thankful for um okay i'm thankful for you guys as well you know this show has changed my life it's helped me get into the disc golf scene in ways i've never seen it made my expo a lot easier because i had a lot more connections and people knew who i was so it was a lot easier to get people there and it's been very beneficial so thank for you guys for taking a chance on intern ben and accepting me and making me molding me into the disc golf man i am today wow that was beautiful thank you <laughs> all right go ahead evan oh all right. oh dang it i was hoping you'd go first <laughs> no i'll go last oh. All right, I'm thankful for uh, Matt, Nick, and Ben here. Uh, it's fun to be on this every week and uh, share my uh, medium takes that Ben thinks are hot. Dude, uh, you in person. have the hottest takes <laughs> out of everyone. Uh, yeah, sure, I'll take the hot takes. As it's long as you either thing. heavily agree with me or heavily disagree with me. If you're just like, eh, I could go either way, then I don't like that, and I did a bad job. I'm, I'm just, I went a, lot, a little off the rails there. I, I, yeah, I'm thankful for the show and all of our fans. <laughs> yeah, so I Nick, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm thankful that our chat, our fans out there have made doing this on Monday nights and originally Thursday nights one of the most fun things that I can Oh, you just took to. it back. Yeah. Um, I look forward to it just about every single week. There are some weeks where I'm a little tired, but I'm thankful for you guys to... Uh, especially the day ones who have been sticking around with us for almost four years now. Um, it's been an incredible experience with all of this and we have a lot of really, really cool things coming up in the future. So be on the lookout for that, but obviously very thankful for Matt. Matt got me into the sport of disc golf and has kind of molded my early onset career in the sport. And then Matt and I have been able to grow in our different areas, but then also in the same area with the Nick and Matt show. And if you talked to us 10 years ago and said where we're at in the sport, I think we'd both laugh about it and say, no way that's ever going to happen. But Definitely thankful for you guys. Thankful for the show cast here. Ben, Evan have been, you know, two of the best additions that I think we could have asked for with the show. Uh, and once again, to all the post audio listeners who aren't listening live, thank you guys so much for 
helping us out. And then to any of the sponsors who have ever presented with our show, Cosmic DG being our presenting sponsor. So that's going to wrap it up. Celtics lost. I'm pretty pissed about it. I'm going to have to uh, cry about it in a little bit. I got a new Celtics sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now, and apparently it wasn't good luck. So anyways, thank you guys once again so much for tuning in on this awesome Monday night. This is episode 166 presented by Cosmic Disc Golf. Go check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube video going on right now. Please help us out with the likes. Thank you to everyone here. Tell someone you love them this week. Be thankful for what you got going on this week with Thanksgiving. And uh, remember those who can't be with us during this holiday season. So love you guys very much. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. Guys, I'll be joining you from Iowa next week. It's uh land of Gannon Burr. Apparently my hotel is in his hometown. There you go. He's like, dude, that is where I live. And I'm like, okay. Urban dance. I'm also going to catch up with uh, his caddy, Matt Schlebach. So... I think I might actually be live from his uh, pro shop next week, guys. We'll see. There you go. That'd be awesome. Very cool. Appreciate it. (laughs) Pretty good. All right, guys. Uh, Until next week and many more. Talk to you guys out there. Peace Peace out. You're cool. You're cool. You're cool. Cool. Peace out. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.